Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Mutants. Since the discovery of their existence, they have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain, or simply a new species of humanity fighting for their share of the world? Either way, it is an historical fact. Sharing the world has never been humanity's defining attribute. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree Burn. I'm your uh, temporary host here, Kirk Greenfield, and I'm joined with our regular host, Brian Hughes and Tim hello. Elliott. Say hello, Brian. Hey. Hi. And Tim. Hello. Jim's just uh, arriving, so uh, as we get underway here, I'm so excited for this episode. We're covering the works of uh, John Byrne, but we have a special show for you today. Uh, I was so excited to see the uh, the emails going back and forth to say, uh, when are we doing this show? And they were talking about episodes 25 and 26, and it's like, I really got excited and did all kinds of research on this, uh, because these are two of my most favorite stories. I mean... If you were really? around in the Silver Age, you absolutely knew this Silver. as the pinnacle of um, Jack Kirby's work. You know, I mean, this uh, is a seminal story. The uh, thing uh, Hulk fight Kirk. in Fantastic Kirk. Four 25 Kirk. is just... What? Kirk! What? Uh, what are you talking about? Oh, well, you said that you were doing the really important books of 25 and 26. And, you know, it, these two live... In uh, well, not in infamy, but they are the the pinnacle of the early FF work. So I figured, you know, you had to be talking about them. Uh, so uh, I did yeah. all this research, well, and I've got examples. Yeah, and Kirk, Kirk, we're we're, we're doing X Men also in twenty five and twenty six. This is a John Byrne podcast, you know. Oh man, all that work for nothing. I mean, I know we've done, been doing our tributes lately. We've done a tribute uh, in, in Cocktails and Comics. We did Neil Adams, and we've been doing George Perez, and we're going to continue to do those. But, yeah, we're going to uh, want to get back to the roots of what the podcast is about, and that's about John Byrne and, and, I don't and his work. I don't have any synopsis for it, guys. I, I did. Tim, Tim and I got you covered. He's got 25. I got 26 here. Uh, all you got to do is look at, look at it and comment on the beautiful art, the wonderful story, if you feel that way. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. But before we get into that, before we get into that, uh, have you guys been paying attention to what's been going on in Burnland? Mm, he had some eye surgery, didn't he? And came out of it all right? That's the last yeah. I remember. That is correct. He had, he had cataract surgery on both eyes. Uh, a couple days apart, and his recovery's been really well. And he's noticed that his vision is uh, improved in a lot of different ways that he didn't necessarily expect. But there is one downside, and that is that he's kind of in a in a bit of a doldrums. See, he wanted to take also some time to make sure that he could get that four issue cushion 
between the book that's currently being published on his website and where he is in his work. But he's finding he just isn't feeling like doing the work. He's having a hard time getting himself motivated to get back into it. Yeah. But the muse isn't moving him as much as it was. The muse is there. The muse is there. The inspiration is there. Because, you know, people sit there and mention things about storylines, and there's a lot of, hmm, hey. But just the the the, the drive, the stick to to get in the pocket and continue drawing day after day is eluding them. And this isn't the first time it's happened, but um, it's this is a scary time for it to happen because he could at any time just decide, I'm done, you know? I mean, he's been doing this for, you know, like two, three years from now, now and it's been r- really enjoyable for us, and it's Very. been free. Yeah. And even with the the news recently <coughs> that Joe Quesada is no longer at Marvel Comics, that doesn't give him any other motivation to even go to Marvel to work. Now, that doesn't mean that someone from Marvel isn't going to come to John and say, hey, we'd like you to do this. We want to give you free reign or whatever, you know. But uh, right now, he's just kind of experiencing a little bit I, of the doldrums. Hopefully. I, I, no, I saw that Casada news, and I'm not really up on what's going on in modern comics. Is he going to D.C., or is he leaving the uh, just the industry, or what? I have no idea where he's going and what he's doing. I he's, just know that he's left Marvel offices. I mean, he hasn't been editor-in-chief for a while. Yeah. Uh, so C.B. Sabolsky, who's a Byrne fan, Uh is, is editor-in-chief. Yeah. I've seen a lot of chatter on the, one. Yeah, on the news. Do you know, does anybody know if is, if he leaving on his own? He wasn't being asked to leave, was he? As I understand, he left on his own. Okay. Probably wants to get Just into decided. film and stuff. Maybe, maybe. I, I, you know, again, I, I don't know much about the guy. I know that, that you know, Kevin Smith likes him a whole lot. Uh, and they worked together on uh, Daredevil series about 20 years ago and Joe showed up in, in, um, James Simon Bob strike back as yeah. a pizza delivery a pizza guy. guy. Yeah. Well, I know from, fans but I know too. also that he was one of the reason why John said he would not work Come at back. Marvel. And that's yeah. after the, after getting hidden years canceled, not for being a bad book or being unsuccessful as a successful book, just as they decided they wanted to publish something different that wasn't hidden years. And that was very unfair to John, in, in my opinion. I don't know if, if their move was a successful move or anything, if they made more money on the book they did versus what they were getting on hidden years. But uh, I, I can understand why he would feel the way he does, especially in, in his you know mind, the way he you know regards people in, in the way they talk to him, the way they tell him, they say is the truth versus what he understands is the truth, and that's uh, a big thing with John. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I just, I mean, I know there are a lot of people probably think that now that Casada's gone, that that's just going to be an open door for to for Byrne to come back to Marvel. But I don't, I just don't think he has any interest. He's been doing kind of his own thing, and even when he was doing Star Trek, I think he was pretty much left alone. It's like do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And he likes. Yeah, Chris Ryle knew, knew to to let him have free reign to do what he wanted. Yeah, I'm and sure it, you know, it's not that. like it's not like Jack Kirby where you kind of have to rein him in, or he gets a little goofy. You know, Burns' storytelling has been solid, and uh, you know he doesn't necessarily always do the stories that everybody wants him to do. 
or cover the characters what he wants to cover, but he does, does it the way he wants to. And there's been nothing wrong with that. I know people did complain in Elswin about certain characters, Pablo and uh, some of the girls that uh, he's put in. But, you know, I, again, they're, they're part of the plot. They're part their devices of the plot. And uh, there's a reason for that. And we'll see some of that a little bit in, in today's uh, coverage, won't we? Yeah. And we've, we've brought this up, I think, almost every time we cover, because this is the longest series we've covered. We've covered every issue of Elswin. Mm-hmm. Uh, continually, yes. you know, continue, you know, it's it's linear. And I think we've often brought up that he could use uh, an editor because this is just mm-hmm. him, you know, and it's not like it needs major overhauling. It just needs a little tightening I, up I, here and there. And I thought about that a bit. I don't think he necessarily needs an editor, but he needs someone to sit there and look at it and maybe ask him, in the moment, why this? Why that? Why not this? Why not that? Give them some. Give them some suggestions rather than sit there and say you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it that way. I think that's the thing that that he wants to stay away from is you know having an idea, wanting to run with it, and then have somebody tell him, er, "Stop! You can't do that." Because that seems to be the the thing that really bristles him more than anything. Well, I think that's if he came if he if he brought Elswin to Marvel. He doesn't have to worry about that because it's not in continuity. It's it's like his vision well, that's, of, and that's the thing. He he knows that it's not in continuity, and everybody should know it's not in continuity. But his fear still is: well, I want to put Spider Man in this issue. Well, Spider Man editor says you can't do that. They're working. They're doing something, you know. And and that's I mean he's experienced that before. The Craven incident was was by far the the easiest one to point at, where they they told him, yeah, we got plans for Craven. But they meant in two years, not right then, in two years. And so it's like the editor-in-chief at the time, I believe that was Archie Goodwin, maybe Ben Shooter, you know, put their foot down and said, no, no, you can use Craven. And so they did that in that Marvel team up with uh, Tigra. Which Tigra. didn't really change the Craven saga or, or mythos not at, at all. all. Right. Right. The toy went back right. to its box when they were done, so... Exactly. And that was that's the thing that 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 gets guys like Byrne is that, you know, you've got these editors of other books that hold on to their characters like like that. Each one of them is a bit of power that they have to, you know, exert over everyone else. And, you know, he just doesn't want to play those games. Oh, I, I, I think I've exhausted that enough. I think we should go ahead and hop into the book unless you guys got other things you want to talk about. I mean, we've had major storms. We've had. Crazy things happen. Obviously, the passing of George Perez. Um, we we did talk about that a little bit on the last cocktails and comics, but that was more in line with the we're more talking about Neil Adams uh, in that the, the conversations I had with Kirk here and, and David yeah. Thompson as well. But um, it, you know, as far as George goes, we're going to be doing some coverage of George for the rest of the year, uh, and hopefully we'll. You know, we've got a, the great uh, uh, lead up to episode one hundred. Where we uh, are, we have we announced that yet? We, we have announced what we're, what we're we've hinted at what we're doing. We still need to iron out our all our details, but we're going to do a yeah, but it'll be a like a special longer show for episode one. Yeah, it, it actually think it'll be two shows um, with what we're doing. Just one show would be way too long, but uh, where we're gonna 
cover Project Pegasus uh, in Marvel 2-in-1, six-issue run that uh, covers work by both Byrne and Perez. So uh, that uh, should be pretty exciting, and we'll have a special guest star, too. I'm excited for that because I was not buying comics during that period, and I've always heard people reference Project Pegasus like mm -hmm. it is like the crease crawl war it's a notable chapter it's yeah. something a high point yep. and uh, having not read it and knowing these two great artists are are intimately involved with it i'm really looking forward to that and, and i'm with you kurt it's, it's my first time to read the story because i was not reading two and one uh at the time and I, to your point also I, it's one of those things that if you're in comics you hear about like you said, the Kree Skull War, the Dark Phoenix Saga, the Korvac mm -hmm. uh, Saga on Avengers, that kind of thing. You hear about it even though you've never read them, so you're aware of it. No. Okay, wanna... quickly quickly before we, we do that, got to ask, have you guys watched Obi-Wan? Not I yet, have. but I have intent to, maybe this evening. Uh, I've watched all three episodes. Um I mean, I should have expected it to go this direction. I should have, but for some reason, I was surprised. Um, I, I, th I think that that most fans will have some trouble with the, uh, not the first two episodes, but the third one. Then after that, I, hopefully, it'll be a good ride. But um, it's it's not hard to watch. It's not uh, a slog or anything. Just the direction that it takes makes you you know gives you a certain feeling, and I don't think everybody wants that feeling. Is this on Disney Plus? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But uh, really, I, I, again, I'm I'm not going to sit there and say one thing or another. I think this this series is well done. Um, there's yeah. there's continuity things that questions the yeah. continuity, and that's the the big thing. And so I think people's head cans are going to kind of blow up a little bit. And you, I think you have to wait and watch the whole thing before you can really sit there and say you know yes. that, yeah. that you did right or wrong. Yeah, I'm Let's, seeing the headlines show up in some of the fan. Uh, stuff saying fans' minds are blown by, and it's like I stopped reading at that point. It's like, nope, no spoilers. <laughs> I'll go experience it for myself. So, yeah, I, and I've seen it, and I've, I've got mixed reactions to it. I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't really talk about it. But now, did you guys go see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? Not, no, not I yet. I haven't seen um, it yet. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it, but. You know, the, there is something inherently, how do I put this tactfully, inherently distasteful in knowing that it's going to be a dark, uh, a dark storyline or it's going to be a dark twist on a beloved character that I'm not really, you know, I'm not rushing to the theater to see it because I already have a, a, a sneak preview from the, the animated What If series. I have a feeling I know where some of it's going, but yes, I want to see it, and I will probably watch it. Is it on my uh, Disney Plus? Yeah, no, uh, not no, yet. no, not yet. It will be here soon. Okay. Um, well, I intend to see it. Yeah, definitely raises a lot of questions, and and uh, I mean, it's created so many memes; it's insane. Um, now, uh, Moon Knight, of course, is a series finished recently. Uh, um. My family really loved it. I, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, I thought it was interesting, but uh, just yeah, it was it was a step away from the Marvel Universe for the most part. Whereas everything else had heavy ties. This one happened in the MCU, but it 
was far away that you didn't have any, any real ties grabs uh references or anything that that uh beyond the things you may have known from Moon but Knight. it felt a little more a little more tied in than say the netflix series those really always felt in their own universe even yeah. though they were yeah. tied to the mcu mm. uh, has anybody That's seen funny. maverick I know it's not comic related. Maverick, but yes, it's top, good. Top Gun I, Maverick. Yeah, we went and saw that, and that's a pretty darn good movie. My yeah, wife you know, it, it hits in the tonight. feels. It hit every part in the feels that it should have. Uh, I, I I heard people complaining that you know that they didn't tie back enough to the first movie enough, and uh, you know the music they were talking about and and certain events, and I'm like, but so many, so much of that would have been tied to the Charlie character that Kelly McGillis played. And, um, and they were not in there. it, right? No, she's not in there. Kelly McGillis, you know, has, has been on the interview circuit, basically talking about, you know, they they're not going to get someone that looks like her on screen again because she's older. She's obviously age. I mean, she was several years older than Tom Cruise mm-hmm. when they made that movie. I think yep. she was like eight years older than him. Wow. And so, a woman in her sixties. And she's, you know, definitely put it on some weight. And she says they're not going to put someone like me on screen for, you know, romance for the character of him. So she wasn't in there. So the music that all played to her wasn't used in there. So that means you don't you don't get you got that love and feeling or take my breath away. You don't even get Otis Redding, Dock in the Bay. And that's half the, the soundtrack that was so well known from that movie. Yeah. And so but, they had to stay away from that. But they have repli- they uh, they did replicate several shots. Yeah, with, several shots and several with they Jennifer did the Great Balls of Fire thing. Yeah, yeah, and the Great Balls of Fire. That I have uh, one one little bit of trivia, Top Gun trivia. Uh, not that it's terribly relevant, but uh, have I told you who wrote the original Top Gun movie? I'm fortunate enough to when I started uh, telecommunications in college back in 1974. The person who was hosting or, or um, graduate teaching the introductory <laughs> class's name was Jim Cash, who Jim wrote Cash Top and Jack Gun. Yeah, yeah. So he was a Hollywood writer who had come to Michigan State University to earn his master's or, or something, and and was still writing and had an agent in Hollywood. He apparently uh, cut his teeth writing the Mod Squad TV series, and. You know, we didn't know that he he was working on something that would become known as Top Gun, but uh, after the fact, um, you know, we'd we'd heard the buzz that he was associated with the project. And apparently, it was his baby. He's done a lot of movies. I uh, can't recite them all, but uh, Secret that's my, my touch. That's my connection to Top Gun. Yeah, you know? yeah, I remember I remember them from Secret of My Success. Jim uh, Jim Cash and Jack Epps apparently were writing partners. Jack Epps Jr. That worked on on both those movies. I'm trying to pull up the list right now to to see what else because I mean they were a staple of '80s uh, '80s movies. Dick Tracy. Um, oh, they even wrote Anaconda, or he wrote Anaconda. Uh, Turner and Hooch, Legal Eagles. Um, gosh, I say they're a big staple of it, but really, uh, his yeah, Top Gun was his first. Uh, screenplay, then Legal Eagles, Secret of My Success, Turner and Hooch, Dick Tracy, and Anaconda, and then the Flintstones, Viva, Las, Viva Rock Vegas. Oh, gosh. Uh, 
I will, I will say this, this is the last thing I'll say about because it it's not really comic related, but I thought the way they handled the Val Kilmer character was mm-hmm. well done. It was respectful mm-hmm. and it wasn't modeling. Um, and it had, you know, it was, it was good. If you haven't seen the, it's, I think it's on Amazon Prime. There's a documentary called Val. And it basically describes it's it's a documentary about his life and how you know with his, his throat Didn't cancer. Didn't he thing. film it all pretty much? You know, he filmed as he was working on each movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot yeah. of that, but it's it's it, it yeah. talks about how you know he had these big plans and then you know the throat the throat cancer and you know basically kind of sidelined his career, but he's trying to get back on track. And so it's good that he could they work that into the story, and uh, that I don't know if that was. Tom Cruise's contribution, you know, that he could easily have said, no, no, I'm not going to share any screen time with this guy because they were kind of rivals character-wise in the first film. But I thought the way they did it was very, very, was very respectful to him. Uh, and I'll yeah, say this, yeah. Tom Cruise is very, is good in the film. If you don't think he's a good actor because he's done a lot of just action stuff lately, he is actually pretty, pretty good. He can, he can actually emote. Um, and you know, I look at, I look at three movies when I think of Tom Cruise as an actor um, interview with the vampire, a few good men, and the color of money. And you see Cruz playing departure characters from what you're so accustomed to seeing him do, you know. Well, I mean, and those I, show just how good an actor he is. I think Rain Man is a, is of course he's yeah. over, absolutely overshadowed by Dustin Hoffman, but mm-hmm. he's very good in that film too. In an early film of his, uh, Risky Business. No, well, he's good in that, but that's a little more lighthearted. He plays a football player with Craig T. Nelson. Is it all the right moves? All the right moves. Yep. He's good in that too. You know, in so Taps. He, he played. He played a side character in Taps. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's more Timothy Hutton's film, but uh, yeah. Last last thing I'll I'll bring up, and we'll kind of get into the book. Or is anybody watching Stranger Things? No. Oh God. Season yes. four. Yes. I'm, we we binged it in one night. Yeah, I'm one episode away from finishing it, and I don't. Know, I well, the, spoil- the thing is, it's not finished. Because, I know. Uh, I thought this was going to be the yeah, last break. season, but this is brilliant play on net, on uh, Netflix's part too, because you got what seven episodes that you've watched, and then there's two more episodes uh, that'll be dropped in July, and they've had this series in the can for a while. I mean, they they spent these last three years filming all this. Okay. So is that, um, so this is, it's not going to be a season five. They're just going to have two more final episodes after this. Yeah. Two okay. more final episodes. I get you. And get so you. what's going to happen is everybody's just binged it and everybody's talking about it right now. And then a month from now, just before they drop those next two episodes, everybody's going to go back and rewatch those. Yeah. So the, the streaming numbers for that are just going to be through the roof. Well, there's a lot of product tie-in I've seen everywhere. Walmart, other places that mm-hmm. that's really... for sure on friday we had a cookout at work and apparently somebody bought some doritos and i mm-hmm. looked at the package and i saw this giant sort of starro creature Gorgon. on it whatever yeah. it is and i looked at it and thought how repulsive why would i want to buy this bag of chips <laughs> yeah i, maybe I just s- don't understand so i haven't <laughs> watched the series but i thought this is this is really weird so yeah, you can get Stranger Things chicken nuggets in the freezer section too. It's uh, they they got stuff everywhere. Yeah. Well, that in Jurassic uh, World because that yeah. drops next week. I Dominion. 
Yeah, looking, it. For, yeah. looking forward to that. And la- lastly, uh, the newest season, season three of The Boys, which uh, if you haven't watched that, uh, in my mind, that is a must-watch series, but it is a hard R-rated series. Yeah, I um, that. Gar- based on the Gar- Garth Ennis books, uh, which are just falls out nuts mm-hmm. insane with the things that they did and and i mean it's basically uh, a fascist justice league in a modern day corporate world insane and it stars jack quaid who's the son of meg ryan and dennis quaid and um carl urban of course who we all know from as dr mccoy on the star trek movies of late uh a really really good series yeah i've seen the first episode of the first season and i just was like i keep meaning to come back and revisit and i haven't had a chance to um to sit down and start watching it but yeah there's a lot of blood and gore there's a lot of sex and violence and yeah ring that bell it's time to move on time to bring it all right tim what uh, what are you going to cover today? What do you bring I am, for showing? We, we split the duties this week, so I'm covering um, issue 25. You're covering issue 26. Uh, as if this is anybody's first first time to listen to Third Degree Burn, one I'm going to say, hey, you've got a lot of episodes behind you to go back and listen to. But we have been covering uh, John Burns. It's you want fanfic or his John Burns version or whatever you want to call it. It's his. His little home project that he's, it's not selling it. He just puts them out on his website, but he pencils and writes kind of his version uh, of the X-Men if he not left the book. So it's kind of his continuation. So it's like, it's like an Elswin uh, what if storyline, but, uh, and there's, you know, we're not going to get you caught up because there's too much to talk about, but it, it deals a lot with Dark Phoenix and. There's Sentinels and there's Mirror Universes and I think we, we this story that I'm fixing to um, read the synopsis for is we're kind of picking up the pieces from a previous storyline as ended and we're starting a new one so it's kind of a handoff. Uh, and I maybe you can tell me, Brian. I don't know when this one dropped. This one is he's up to issue thirty-two now. Uh, thirty-two would be the next issue. I believe, yeah. So this one is, and he's doing them once a month. So this is probably yeah, you're old. six, seven months ago. Um, this came out in August of 21, yeah. Okay. It's almost a year old. So our writer, artist, editor, everything. Penciler is John Byrne. This is John Byrne, top to bottom. Uh, X-Men Elsewhere, number 25. The title of the story is There's No Place Like Home. We open shortly after the end of last issue. <clears throat> Needing a new HQ, the team visits the abandoned Sentinel base carved into the Rockies. See issue 10. The Sentinels left the door open and the place is quite untidy. Professor X, Scott, Peter, Aurora, Kitty, and Ashley discuss using the structure as a new X-Men's base of operations. Xavier gives Kitty and Ashley permission to explore as Storm whips up a small tornado to clear out all the debris. Kitty cautions Ashley to stay alert. As an X-Men, there can be danger around any corner. Ashley shrugs off the warning as the two teens come across a deactivated Sentinel. Kitty says the robots should all be dead after Mr. Fantastic introduced a computer virus into their systems. Ashley decides to have some fun with Kitty and brings the giant robot to life with her powers. Kitty dives through the wall to escape the mechanical man as Ashley rolls on the floor with laughter. 
Her hysterics are cut short as a hand pulls her through the floor. Kitty warns her against being a smart donkey as she continually dunks the young mutant below the surface. A sudden telepathic scolding from Professor Xavier brings the horseplay to an end. The professor tells Kitty she should show more self-control and set an example for Ashley. <clears throat> the professor, uh, who, Ashley, who the professor assigns disciplinary measures. Ashley bristles at being treated like a little kid and says she is just having fun animating the robot. Two young women head back to the others as we zoom in on the eye of the sentinel, an eye that is active. Or is it? Cut back to Westchester in the remains of the X-Men's HQ. Final stages of packing are taking place. Jeff explains why he did not return with the other Shi'ar. He wanted to stay on Earth, and Gladiator agreed. He had served as for many generations, and he could, he could go where he wished. Jeff jumped into space and returned to Earth. Cut to a weakening mirror magneto. He struggles to maintain his molecular bonding. The imbalance between the universes is growing worse. See issue 23. The air around him crystallizes into a 20-sided die. Magneto... Mag... <laughs> I was almost you, Kirk. Magneto commands to be set ah! free, but a cold voice tells him to command all he wishes. There is recognition on the Master of Magnetism's face as a metal gauntlet picks up his helmet. The mystery man has been watching and has decided to act. Cut back to White Plains, New York, <clears throat> and the new apartment of Jean Grey's parents. Their house was destroyed in issue 10 by Sentinels. Jean gives a recap of X-Men issue 98 through 101. The Sentinel attack in New York, Stephen Lang, the fight in, space, the, fight in the space station with robotic, robotic X-Men, uh, and her becoming Dark Phoenix, or her double becoming Dark Phoenix. The corruption by Mastermind and the birth of Dark Phoenix. Sorry, she became Phoenix, then she became Dark Phoenix. This all took place in issues 129 to 138. And check out Third Degree Burn episodes 26 through 29 for a wonderful coverage of those issues. Jean finishes a recap and wonders, who am I? Who is Jean Grey? Cut to the woods around the X-Mansion. We see the fox from issue 22 with glowing eyes and a ravaged body. It searches for a new host, but a host for what? It finds one in a large hibernating bear. Cut to New York and a heartbroken Kurt Wagner in the apartment of his deceased girlfriend, Amanda. Weeks of emotions have suddenly crashed down on him, and he slumps to the floor. Cut back to former Sentinel base slash new X-Men headquarters. Kitty is watching the woods from the cliff. Peter tells her to come in from the cold, but she wants to check out the area. She explains last Christmas the demon attacked her, and she wants to find out where it came from. See X-Men issue 143. And for coverage of that, Third Degree Burn episode number 33, to be continued. Over to you, Brian. Well done, Tim. Well done. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Good job. Do we want to go into this one before we go through my synopsis? Or Yeah, I think we can. Has Amanda been confirmed as being dead, or is she just missing? Well, I think in Kirk's mind, she's dead. I don't think, I think we haven't seen a body, if that's what you mean. So. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and, and like, unlike all other subplots where someone is dead but not dead, there's always hints, <coughs> and there are no hints uh, in this that uh, she is alive. So we, we take it that she's, she's out of the series. She's pro- presumed dead until another writer mm-hmm. or a plot thread down the road resurrects her. 
Okay. Yeah. You know, Bird decides to bring her back or not bring her back. Well, I think I think it was to get away from the whole Claremont storyline of that. I mean, if I don't know if you guys are aware, best place to catch up on this, I think, would be X Men Annual. I think is it three? Ulala Badoon. Oh no, no, not Ulala Badoon. There's one after that where they they go to hell. Dante's Inferno. Nightcrawler's Inferno. Yeah. Nightcrawler's Inferno. Yeah, and we find out that uh, he was raised by Margali Swardos. And uh, her, uh, you know, he was raised with her daughter, um, and I forget what her daughter's name was. And the daughter turns out to be Amanda Sefton, you know. Uh, so, you know, what? So his sister is now his girlfriend. And uh, yeah, that's <laughs> uh, She's she's of course practicing to be a witch, and um, she uh, she and Nightcrawler had a, a long running relationship uh, in the books under Claremont's run. And I think this is just Byrne distancing himself from that type of storyline. So you don't have to worry about that. I have a memory of the two of them taking a bath together. Yeah, that that was Claremont Claremont and John Romita Jr. Okay. Yeah, he actually teleported out and dropped somebody in the bath with her, if I remember. Something like that. Somebody and, had been and there injured. Were cute, little, cute little nightcrawler dolls, stuffed animals. The vamp dolls. The vamp, vamp dolls. dolls. Yeah, yes. that was from that great, great Claremont and Cochran story where uh, Kitty told her fairy tale to Ilyana. Oh, uh, one, of, that one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, I remember that. that Kitty. Yeah, story. nightcrawler became the vamp, and yes, it was just the funniest, cutest little thing. Well, they show up also in that four-issue series by uh, Cochran. Yeah. Yep, the Nightcrawler swashbuckler. Yep. Why is that not? Why are those not a plushies? Somebody needs to start producing those. It has to be licensed, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, Marvel and Disney. I'm sure they would. If, if they found out they could print money with those, they would do that. But uh, probably you know, Nightcrawlers. Bobbleheads are ruling right now. You know, more like. I know, but aside from that. Nightcrawler being in X Men Two, you know, he hasn't picked up as a major, you know, character in all this time. So the Banff doll would be lost on most people. Yeah, it would. Well, especially since they've never created his actual costume. Right. Which is, I think, right. one of the I'm sure you can, you can find somebody's made one out there on um, one of those really like Etsy. Etsy, or Etsy or something out yeah. else, else out there like that. Uh, Maybe what they real. need to do is, is Netflix or Disney Plus or somebody needs to do a one-off uh, Kitty's Tale, uh, anim- semi-animated maybe uh, feature well, that tells well, the now, tale. As I, as I understand it, they're getting the band back together for the X-Men animated series. So the, 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 they're going to pick up again that animated series from the 90s. And they're going to do more stories of that along, along those lines. I hope it's not as melodramatic. I hope it's not as frenetic. Well, I just, you know, Storm's characters, you know, clouds above me swirl around, you know, that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff always kind of Over made the my top. eyes roll. Yeah. But, I, I mean, that was, that was the probably music. the best X-Men series. I love that music. Oh. Okay, All right. That's, let's that's... get back on track here. You asked <laughs> if we wanted to do your 26th uh, uh, um, uh, issue summary synopsis. I, I think we should go through this one first. Yeah. Take a let's look at go through this and, and then we'll jump it. to 26. The first thing that jumps out at me on the very first page is that big number 500 over there on the right. 
And it's got me wondering, does that mean this is the 500th page of, of Elseworlds? Because, like, in, in X-Men 137, in the Dark Phoenix saga, there's the scene where uh, they're going up against uh, Warstar, and uh, you can see the number 500 down there as Colossus is being smashed into something. And um, that was, Byrne put that in there because that was his 500th page hmm. on uh, Uncanny X-Men. So it raised that question with me. I just didn't have time to go and look it up on his website to see if that was the case. And I figured that someone would have brought it up in his thing since um, it was, you know, on the very first page. It's but I just, prominent. yeah, I just don't see, you know, anyone's brought that up. So I don't know. There's 50 pages worth of commentary on that particular issue. Next minute, also in 25. But, uh, yeah, I don't see anything that, that uh, refers to that, so I don't know. It seems to make sense that this would be, I mean, again, 25 issues in, and he's been doing it at, what, uh, 19, 17, 19 pages an issue? So uh, could be could be page 500. Could be. You, you would think that uh, this base would have been at least taken over by the government. It's not like they probably didn't know about it. It's, I find it hard to believe that it's just been sit abandoned with the door open for for years to let well, all this, you know, this is covered. Well, the door wasn't the door wasn't opened. The door only opened after Sebastian Shaw and the the the, the, the uh, Master Mold Sentinel engaged these. <coughs> I just did the math, Brian. Yeah. 20 issues or 20 pages times 24 issues is 480. You may be absolutely right if one of those issues was a, a double sized. Well, the uh, first one was double sized. I think you're right. I think it's a 500. Mm, probably page. what it is. Yep. Yep. I'm kind of surprised he didn't do a big. Of course, he does it in the next page a big two page spread. Yeah. Now, the, sort of the, the, yeah, the, the, the interesting thing here, of course, is the flyer, the, the X Men card that they've got there. Is that an X Men car? Or is that a Sentinel thing? But it uh, that's actually a 3D model that he's got on his computer, uh, put in with the artwork itself. Hmm. It looks hand drawn. I think it's X Men. They wouldn't. The Sentinels wouldn't fit in them. No, that's true. True. But they wouldn't fit in the other thing that the X Men been flying around with. It was theirs also. Yeah. Were the uh, well, were the champions? Didn't the champions take over the Sentinel base, or, or uh, there, so there was something that, that was taken over. The, there was like a mountaintop installation that somebody took over. Was it the champions? Well, I, I don't remember that. I just know that there's the Trask, the Trask base, and the Lang base. And uh, who had the space station? Was that was Lang? Wasn't that was it? Lang. Yeah, Lang. But this is this right here is also Lang, isn't it? Or is this Trask? I thought this was Trask from like X Men issues, the sixties, yeah, the or the fifties, yeah. the sixties when he introduced Havoc when he yeah, and these so these are really the the badass Sentinels. These are the tough Sentinels as opposed to Langs who were weak sauce, right? Because when the earlier issues and the first like the first ten issues of this Elseworld, we see that these Sentinels were in here kind of dormant, and then yeah, uh, uh, Shaw activates yeah, them, right? Shaw. Yeah. The Master Bolt. Yeah. Whew. 
But that's, so uh, if, if that's the case, okay, if this was opened in Byrne's mm-hmm. own issues of Elswin, right? they say it's been open for a few years. Do you get the impression that the, up to issue 25 that a couple of years have gone by? To me, it seems more like maybe weeks. Yeah, maybe a few it, months. It, it, maybe a few months. But again, you know, it's like uh, we don't get the full story there. Yeah. What was left open, what wasn't. It just... It does. It, it's weird, but again, you know, even when a place is closed up, it gets a lot of debris falls, especially in a cave when stuff can fall from the top. Uh, just planes flying overhead can shake dust and stuff loose, so anything's possible. Now, of course, on the the second page, which is a two page spread, Byrne does one of those great X ray shots mm-hmm. of the side of the mountain, which I think is a lost art in comics these days. I don't think anybody really does that. Uh, that kind of stuff anymore. All, all it's missing are the little notes about what all the little rooms are. The labels, yeah. yeah Kirby would do that. Yeah. Uh, and Byrne yeah. did it too when he would. Uh, well, Sentinel other, loop job, Sentinel yeah. diagnostic, <laughs> Sentinel, you know. The only oil other thing I, uh, that this, okay, this is Colorado, unless I'm wrong. This is in the Rockies. No, this is, this is uh, just a, like 100 miles upstate New York. Then what? Rock. Okay, then they had a base in the Rockies, didn't they? Or am I misremembering? I think you're 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 misremembering. The Sentinels are the so Rockies, convoluted. I, yeah, it's hard for yeah. me to keep them track. Okay, the so, Rockies was um, nefarious then. Okay, so I want to say so. This is upstate New York, or it's a couple, maybe a couple hundred miles from the X Mansion. Mm-hmm. It's not too far. Right. That definitely not too far considering what's happening in these stories. Yeah. Right right in the middle and of that X-ray I, cutaway. They're, they're, they're in the hangar off of the left, right, where they flew in. But in the right-hand side, right in the very middle, it looks like there's uh, a hangar illogically placed right in the middle that has an inactive flyer sitting. It does look, yeah, there's like some kind of a ship in there. That's kind of weird. But you're right. I like the cutaways, and I miss the labels. That was every Marvel book had one. Every hero had a secret headquarters cutaway view of, you know, inside secrets of Ant-Man. You know, holy yeah. smokes. Well, the only other thing, and this is what took me a while when I was when I do my synopsis for these, there's so much reference back to previous issues that he doesn't have any of the like editor's notes. See issue, whatever. Right. Uh, so when I'm writing my synopsis, I have to go back. Okay, what issue? What issue is that? So I got to thumb through all my issues. Yeah, and try to I, find I it. didn't do that too. <clears throat> and I this like Storm's method X-Men. of cleaning the place out, though. I wish I could do that with my own house. <laughs> this whips up a storm and blows all the leaves out. Yeah, just hope there's not any, you know, empty oil cans or anything. Because you know, <clears throat> ouch, Can- candy wrappers <laughs> or anything else that's not biodegradable. Was anybody else tense when you were reading these issues to discover that they're going through a former enemy's lair? Didn't it make you uncomfortable or or anticipate that something was going to be alive in there? There is, you know, where Kitty and what is her name, Ashley, Ashley. are walking through that that were uncomfortable to me. I'm like, why are they letting these kids go off on their own? Yes. You know, throughout this place, I know Kitty's headstrong and she thinks she can deal with whatever, but it just seemed to me to be very irresponsible to do that. And yet, the professor basically said something to the effect of, 
you know, I've checked the place out. It's, you know, it's safe. Yeah, he, he implies so, that him and Scott have kind of <clears throat> been, I guess, rummaging around this place to make sure there are no hidden traps or uh, sentinels that weren't deactivated or, or whatnot. Yeah, and, and that's right. Kitty makes the line, you know, she like she's, they come across the sentinel. She goes, it's dead, just like it's supposed to be. After what the professor and Reed Richards did to them, they're all dead. So they're they're confident that 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 you know the sentinels themselves are not working. I, but again, you're you're right. What does that mean for the base itself? Anybody remember uh, the Falcon miniseries issue two? Yep. Mm-hmm. And the sentinel that that, that was in that one. I, I like that miniseries. Mark Bright did the artwork on that, if I remember. I did. It was very yeah. enjoyable. I really liked that particular issue, especially because it tied back to. X-Men 99, but um, it was good. Now, looking at the Sentinel in, in the, the one that Kitty and um, Ashley are coming across on page 5, is the size on that one really off, or are they able to modify their size according to what they're dealing with or their state, dormant state, active state, whatever? I don't. I mean, I know the Master adjusting. Mold was able to change its size, um, and these are, are ones that come from the Master Mold, so it wouldn't be a surprise, but it looks actually kind of short in the first thing, and it seems much bigger when Ashley activates it. Yeah, I mean, and against it, Kitty, a little practical joke. Yeah, it looks like it's probably twelve feet, maybe. And I always thought the Sentinels were about twenty. You know, big enough they could grab somebody in their hand. Yeah, uh, and this one seems. And the, like, and the second, the the bottom panel, it looks like it's that big. You know. It's just yeah. the top panel. Yeah, it's true. When it's trying to grab, <clears throat> when it's trying to grab Kitty's leg, when she's diving through the wall, it does look a little. Yeah, the scale changes a little bit here and there. And uh, I never had the impression that they could change their size. I, I didn't either. I never got that. I mean, yeah. Well, I was really thrown off in the Hulk Angle Seven when the Master Mold kept changing its size because it started out as man sized. And then grew all the way to full size, you know, uh, before halfway through the book. I didn't catch that. And th um, there was no explanation of it whatsoever. And I'd, I'd love to go back and, and see if they've got anything in a hot move about it. But I think a hot move even skirted around it. Well, and um, if, these, if, these what, are, if these are also Trask Sentinels, weren't those all numbered? Didn't they have numbers on their chests? Well, these are... These are in storage. These were never activated. Maybe. Know yeah, but the ones yeah. that came out, the ones that came out did have numbers on them because you saw numbering up to two hundred uh. uh, in the previous in the previous issues here of Elswin. Well, so the ones that are internal, like this one here, I think are of a different cadre. Where maybe like he's a like a worker. Cast. Maybe he's like a worker. Uh, he's like a menial sentinel. He doesn't actually go out and fight. He does all the. Well, so that's why think back to, to think back to Days of Future Past, and Logan before he gets scragged by that Sentinel recognizes it as like an Omega series, yeah, a high, high, high level Sentinel that's in the central bases, and so you could sit there and think that this is like one of those, you know, well, it's the like high Terminators. Level one that, they, yeah, Terminators. Yeah. They have different versions for different jobs. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, my lord, mud. <laughs> the Alice series. Yep, the that's right. They series. had numbers. 
They had numbers. Harcourt? <laughs> Harcourt Fenton Mud? It's that alcohol I smell in your breath. <laughs> You've been drinking. What do you think of, of Ashley's joke on Kitty? It goes on too long. I think the, the problem that we run into is that Ashley just doesn't see the Sentinels the way everybody else does. Right. Everybody else sees them as mutant killing monsters. Right. She sees them as toy puppets. Yes. Toys, yeah. And well, because of yeah. that, yeah, Good. she just doesn't realize how bad of a joke she's playing on Kitty here by having that Sentinel chase after Kitty. Now, Kitty's reaction, that's 100% real. That is almost like my brother Matt encapsulated there from when we were kids at the swimming pool. One thing to make Flash make him mad, boy, you're dumped. Well, right, and I think I think what Burn is writing, Ashley, is she's a little cocky. She's mm-hmm. uh, been, and she says, you know, hey, I've I've taken these guys out myself. And to your point, Brian, with her powers, they don't seem to be as much of a threat. And I don't right. think she is taking th- this. I agree with you, Kirk. This goes on a little too long. This is, feels like a little bit like filler. But it's setting up something, obviously. Yeah. With the, I mean, this is going to be the seed for something down the road. Exactly. Really. But it's it's Kitty trying to, you know, she's suddenly she's the new kid. Kitty is in this in this timeline. Ashley. Well, Kitty's still new. Up up until, compared to the rest, Kitty's new. But now Kitty's the one with all the experience compared to Ashley, who has no experience. Right. So she's trying to impart to her, hey, you got to be on your toes all the time. You never know when, you know, something's going to happen. And Ashley doesn't, you know, she's been able to take care of herself so far, so she's not taking it seriously. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, I can handle myself. You're being... You know, kind of an overcautious worrywart, uh, and then that's why Kitty I, and I agree with you, Brian. Kitty has a a, a reasonable reaction to like one mm-hmm. that wasn't funny. So let's see how you like it, you know. And so she basically, you know, and what we what we haven't, what I didn't bring up my synopsis was it's been established that Kitty can phase through solid objects, but she can't breathe. Like if she goes to the ground, she can't breathe. So she's dunking, right. basically like dunking Ashley under the under the water. Yeah, and then let her up to breathe and dunk her down again. So, uh, yeah, that's it, it, it's interesting. Of course, when you sit there and you think about the power set of the two mutants here, Kitty's a very passive power, and Ashley's is a very you know, I mean, it's dramatic and it's she's incredibly powerful uh, for what for you know who she is, what she is, because she can sit there and control something like this with just a thought. It doesn't look like it's any effort for her. And what the one thing I like about this segment is just the subtlety of the expressions between the two girls in all these scenes. Byrne just really is able to relay great emotion and subtlety and everything on their faces to these these few couple pages. Yeah, especially good in the oh, what page is this? Page eight, the upper right hand corner. Where they're standing over the clack sentinel, <laughs> yes. shoot out the difference between their two faces. Is, is you're right, it's really good. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of faces, Brian, were you the one who pointed out the the lips on the sentinels in uh, in past I, I, months? I've, I've made mention of it a time or two. 
ever since you've done that, I've looked for that and noticed that ever since, trying to determine if that's true or not. I didn't buy oh, yeah, it. You told me, but now one. I don't know. You may be right. I just, I don't know. Page five. Look at page five right there, the bottom panel. Big lips. Yeah. Mick Jagger all over the place. Yep. Uh, no. <laughs> You're right. He is, yeah. He well, has drawn him very pronounced instead of just like kind of open, like, uh, just like an opening. Yeah, you could use those for the opening of Rocky Horror Picture Show. But, uh, you know, of course, moving on, we, we, we see them, you know, walk away from the Sentinel, and then the eye in the Sentinel seems to light up. Uh, yeah, we can't tell of, it because there's no coloring, but I assume that's what that is, that his, he's become and, active. And because he zoomed in on it, that's how I read that, that he's specifically yeah. drawing attention to it. So, yeah, I take it as a glimmer of, of life in there. Yeah, and no spoiler here. There really is no spoiler in saying this. Um, you know, in reading, we're six issues ahead at issue 31, and there's been nothing of this particular subplot uh, that came back on them at all. Not yet. So that's, you know, where where we are. Of course, we move on, and we're back to uh, what's left of the X-Men's headquarters. And... Uh, Looks like Jop has returned, and Logan, a very happy Logan, whose arms are still wrapped in bandages, are greeting. Um, who is that down there? That's Carla. It's and, Carla uh, and Ashley's mom. Ashley's mom. Remember, that's right. Yeah, I can't remember her name. Professor X's uh, side lady. Ooh. I kind of had a thing. They kind of think they have a thing going on. It really? seems like that. Even I didn't. In, I wouldn't pick it up on years, that. Even in hidden years, there was a little subtext that there was a little something going on between the two of them. I didn't pick up on Professor that. Professor X and who? Ashley's mother. But they in hidden years? Yeah. Yes. Oh. That's where, was, where Ashley's yeah. first introduced. Yeah. Oh. See, I haven't read. I haven't read all of hidden years. See, now we got to cover some hidden years. <laughs> we need. We need. We need it. That's a. That's a good series. The, the, the thing for me is that whenever I start reading, I just I have to read it from beginning to end. So, um, but I mean, it's if you're a fan of the the Roy Thomas Neil Adams X Men stories, uh, it's a it's a great series to pick up on after those. I don't have, think I've got a full collection of those. I've got them here and there as uh, floppies, but I don't I don't I don't think I've got them. I don't think I've got them digitally. I, I can be there. Anyway, <laughs> so we've got this is more the this is more of the sitcom era or the sitcom version of this story because we've got you know Wolverine and Pablo who have kind of bonded because Bondo can uh, yeah. um, kind of calm Wolverine uh, and then Wolverine says he is he's the only one who doesn't look at me with pity and I thought we were at this point kind of beyond that I didn't think we were still. I thought Wolverine was a little more integrated into the team, but uh, and then we've got Joff, and I, I I will say this: I don't really like Joff hanging around with the X Men. I think he works better as uh, part of the the you know he's the guardian of the crystal, you know, and he should be out in space doing things. But I guess Byrne likes him he's, enough that he's going to hang around and. Yeah. Well, the next minute. It's the character he created. Just wait for the next yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy movie. He'll be in there. I'm <laughs> joking. I'm joking. 
besides next is a Christmas special, a holiday special. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The Ewoks and Jaw. <laughs> <laughs> we yes. shall see. Next, we'll of course, Mark uh, David addresses Jeff. Um, yeah, the the flashback with the Shiar, uh, Jeff talking to Gladiator. Uh, and that's where you, you know Gladiator says Joth has served the Empire for thousand generations. He's earned the right to do as he wishes. Well, Byrne seems to have kind of, to me, seems to have forgotten how powerful Joff is. That he basically, if he becomes part of the X Men, you don't need the rest of them. You know, he can well, do again <laughs> whatever you're, he you're wants. You're basing that. You're basing that over what he did. In those issues with the Imperial Guard, uh, with the Macron Crystal way back when. And Joff here has been severely injured, uh, you know, prior to all this, uh, mm-hmm. just in his travel to Earth. Mm-hmm. Because Gladiator had encased him in that, that steel ball, basically, and propelled him through like a wormhole or a black yeah, hole. But he survived. To be. Yeah, and but when he came out, he was not all there. He was cooked. He was cooked. I mean, he he was in as bad a shape as Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And you know, his recovery is probably taking longer than you can imagine. Oh, his yes. strength is probably not where. If where, that's the case, then yeah, I'd like a little dialogue stating that, stating that because he. Um... Well, look at the bottom of page ten. I mean, when he takes off. Considering he had that traumatic experience, he almost looks happy to fly yeah. out of the ship and back to Earth. But look at that face. Does it look satanic at the the, the end? I think that's just the he... way his face is drawn. He can't help but look uh, a little evil. I think he's just happy to be free. He's been serving, you know, he says that she are for a thousand generations. And... Now he gets to go and play. He's like on vacation. He's retired. So he's going to go play okay. with his new friends. Yep. Yeah. Next page. Next page is Alt Magneto. And this page is com- you know is is you know confirmation that it's Alt Magneto and the fact that he knows that there's an imbalance between the universe and it's what's affecting his molecular bonding. Yeah. So the, the, there's no doubt that the old younger Magneto is dead. You notice, though, in the second panel, it looks like Byrne had drawn him and then redrew him because it looks like there's another eye just above his eye. Yeah, there's <laughs> something going on about the layout there, but I wouldn't have interpreted it as that. Yeah, um, I wouldn't either. And I, I kind of hated my synopsis as to who is he is encountering, and I don't know if we want to spoil it. or. Well, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's obvious oh, if you're looking way, at it. I is. counted all the panels in this uh, this geodesic uh, shape. There's only twelve. Okay, not twenty. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's I, I that said a twelve-sided die. Yeah. <clears throat> well, oh, I thought you said twenty. Yeah. I said twenty. I did say twenty. It's because twenty is more uh, in the zeitgeist, you know, more. But yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. To your point, Kurt, I didn't bother trying to count the the uh, <laughs> the, the size. I'm just I'm just giving you crap. <laughs> Um, so this, this issue is a lot of setting things up. We kind of ended one story. We're setting up other stories. We're continuing, you know, you get one page to continue all of these. We're checking back in, back and forth, back and forth. And a lot of recap because following 
Magneto's encounter with um, uh, a person of unknown uh, uh, origin here. Uh, although I do like in the eye of this person, it's, a, it's a, he's done a wonderful job of doing the reflective nature of this kind of uh, mangled and kind of um, uh, distorted eye he's got. But, uh, yeah. When we go back to New York and it's Jean and her parents, and we get just a recap of the kind of the dark, a uh, quick recap of the dark of the, of the Phoenix saga, you know, of how it started, her becoming Phoenix or, you know, her duplicate becoming Phoenix and then dark Phoenix to, and it just reinforces, you know, to her, it's been just a matter of, I think weeks is what she says. Everybody else has been like two years. So she's still coming to terms with, I'm trying to catch up to everything you guys have done. And you guys keep referring, thinking I experienced all this stuff. I didn't. That wasn't me. I was in the bottom of Jamaica Bay. Uh, and this other person fell in love, you know, was in love with Scott and became Dark Phoenix and was corrupted and destroyed a planet and all this stuff. So she is, I can imagine that is still her trying to um, come to terms with, you know, who am I? Because I'm not the person everybody else sees me when they look at me. It's really great artwork in the... Uh the, the uh, recap, the flashbacks, he does an excellent job of capturing the image or the feel of each one of those issues with those images. I really like that. It is without I, I like mimicking it. the actual panels. Well, I, I like it, but there's one thing I'll say is that it's pages like these that definitely show to me the evolution of Burns' lines and the work that he does. Because when you sit there and you look back at the older work that he did back in the days with him and, and Terry Austin, the heads are smaller than the heads that he draws on his characters now. So they're a little bit more of a caricature rather than a, a regular head. It's just a minor, minor difference. I, I, I mean, it, it, it infractions. Yeah, but it 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 becomes very obvious, especially the image of of uh, Phoenix or Dark Phoenix and Jason Wingard there on the top of page three, and that's page three of the second second uh, part here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but that's a lovely shot of her face at the very bottom when she's saying, basically, "Who oh, yeah. is great?" That is yeah. a really beautiful. Yeah, very Neil Adamsy. <coughs> In, in composition. Yeah. Very. Yep. Now, of course, this next page is all burn um, with the... Uh, the wolf? Yeah. The fox? Is the it fox. A, it's a fox, fox, yeah. The fox and then the bear and just, yeah. I love that last image with the bear. It does, it, it of course, makes me think of... Um, of uh, Sienkiewicz's uh, demon bear. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, the same uh, thing. Yep. Well, it, it reminds me, I think we talked about this when this has kind of jumped out before, that it's very Proteus-like. Um, mm -hmm. Ghost bodies, yeah. mm -hmm. glowing and eyes. A lot, of people were, a lot of people were commenting about that, like they thought this was Proteus. And it didn't make sense to me how Proteus would travel all that way, you know, it, I, I, I was, you know, 100% sure that that was the Phoenix, basically, from the sparkle dust that was left over. 
Yeah, and it would be there because it was going to be tied into. Yeah, because yeah. we're not we're not done with Phoenix yet. But, mm -hmm. um, well, I'm thinking that it's the demon from the the, um, the last panel of this issue. Ah. And then, of course, uh, we get back to the Nightcrawler subplot. We kind of discussed that already, but the the image of, of Nightcrawler slumped in the bottom panel is so beautiful and it so is. sad. And everything that you're, that you're meant to understand about how he feels is right there in that image. And, of course, the other thing you'd be thinking is, gosh, I wish I was that thin again. <laughs> uh, and then the last page, of course, is Kitty and Peter. And it, it's funny because this page makes me think of the, the middle panels of this page actually make me think of John Romita Jr., especially the way Peter's drawn. In the left panel, um, but well, you know, I mean, when he's walking out, saying, "Why aren't you cold? Why are yeah. you out here?" Yep, Ramita Junior. That that makes me think of John Ramita Junior. Okay. For one, yeah. it's a very human pose of someone walking in, and John Ramita Junior is really good at doing that. Um, the other thing is the the draping of the coat, and and you know how he's wearing it. Um, it just it just reminds me of something that Romita Jr. would have drawn. Okay. But it, the funny thing is, the bottom panel on the bottom right, it looks like Kitty's talking to Peter Parker. That's what, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, the hair uh, yeah. is very Parker-like. How many times did you look at this bottom panel before you actually saw the demon face in the detritus there on the left? Or was that just something you spotted right away? I saw, yeah, I, I got I, it right away. I kind of read it right away, especially when she says, you know, talking about the demon. <clears throat> yeah. I want to go, before we end this issue, I want to go back about four pages. I got to flip back to it. When uh, Jean Grey's parents are with her in the apartment, that yeah. first establishing shot, I'm kind of trying to scroll down here real quick to get to it. The first establishing shot when they look down, no, it's not the establishing shot. They look down, and she's slumped in the chair and saying, for you, it's been nearly two years since you learned the truth. Look at the rug that's just to the right of her, the concentric circles. Yeah. It's a I havoc rug. I was thinking havoc. It's a havoc rug. <laughs> that's what popped into my head, and I thought, what is that? It took me a little while to resolve that that was supposed to be a rug. But, well, uh I, I think it's one of those, and I don't know the name of them, but it's those you've seen them from by the seventies and sixties. It's like a, almost like a, a knitted or a. Yes. Yes. Like, We've got them. They're yeah. a rope braid type. Exactly. Crochet. That type of rugs. Yeah. Yep. It gets anyway. me thinking about the rug that sits there in the West wing in the oval office with the Eagle holding the branches and the arrows. Oh, the, the uh, seal, the Amer the presidential yeah. seal. Presidential seal, that's what it makes me think of. Well, well guys, as we wrap this up this particular issue, I'm going to have to take my leave of you. I have another uh, commitment that was pre-scheduled that I've got to get to. So, well, Say goodbye to the cowbell. <laughs> yeah. No well, worries, Kurt. I'm glad you, could, if, you, you know, could join yeah. as long as you could. Yeah. And, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Sorry, we're going to miss you on this next one because there's a lot of really good stuff to cover here. Well, I but, will tune in to hear what you have to say, but I, I just can't stick around. I'm afraid I'm out of time. So enjoy uh, it. I hope the, the listeners enjoy it. And when we're finished with this, remember we're going to flash back to FF2526 for that great <laughs> thing. All the time. 
All you're right, gonna have, you're gonna have to create your own episode there. I'll, I'll help you set that up if you want to. Alrighty. <laughs> have a good day, guys. Bye. Take care. Thanks, Kirk. Alrighty. Well, you ready to run over yeah. to X Men also on twenty six? Get into your. Okay. Well, I've got all the particulars here. Um, publication date September two thousand twenty one. 19 pages, writer, artist, letter, John Byrne, the title, Where Monsters Dwell. And here is the synopsis. <clears throat> I wrote this without knowing, you know, it's funny because I wrote this the other night, not even going back and reading issue 25. I just went into 26 and picked up. So I may hit a lot of keys of what you hit in your synopsis. No worries. But here we go. Our story starts 10 days before Christmas. As Colossus and Kitty Pride walk through the snow-covered woods close to the destroyed remains of the expansion, but not too close. They're out there looking for the remains of the cairn that the storm destroyed a few years earlier in X-Men 96. The one that spawned a demon Kitty fought just last Christmas, just the last Christmas before. See Uncanny X-Men 143. As they find the remains of the cairn, Kitty has Peter hold on to the back of her costume as she phases through the ground so that she can see what, what's, what is under the stone debris. She sees down a deep shaft and sees movement. And then she sees something coming right back up the shaft. We turn our attention now to the X-Men's current home in the form of Sentinel Lair, 100 miles upstate. Scott, the professor, and Storm are discussing how the X-Men are adapting to the new site when Storm reminds Scott that they need to leave if they're going to meet Jean. A little later, we see Pablo and Ja playing out in a snowy wooded area with Logan, who recently had his brain literally fried by the Phoenix. See X-Men also in issue 13. Now Logan is very childlike. When Joff playfully, though, hits Logan in the face with a snowball, Joff is subject to Wolverine's patented berserker rage. Fortunately, Pablo is able to use his power to hold Logan immobile in the air so that no one can be hurt. All of a sudden, two figures, one James McDonald Hudson and his wife Heather, show up. Logan doesn't recognize them, and Joff asks who they are. Hudson brings them all back to the X-Men's lair to discuss. It's here that we also find that Shaman has joined Heather and James to maybe see if they can help Logan regain his mind. Shaman informs him that he saved an archive of sorts of all the membership of Alpha Flight, so he has a backup of Logan's memories up until he left the team, before they truly got started and before Logan had become an X-Men. Before they can discuss further, though, Peter and Kitty rush into the X-Men's headquarters in one of the team's flying vehicles, out of control. Guardian reacts quickly, though, and stops the flying car using his supersuit. Before the team can do anything else, the door to the lair is torn back open, and the team and guests are all attacked by a large contingent of demons, both big and small. Shaman IDs them as Nagari, or rather, mutant offshoot of the Nagari. He, Guardian, and the X-Men, with the help of Joff, all take the fight to the demons, Joff saving Pablo and Carla from imminent death and tearing a demon apart in the process. Wolverine joins the fray, cutting the clawed fingers off a large demon just before getting swallowed whole for his trouble. We turn our attention to Scott and Aurora. Aurora. Aurora, I can't even say that. <laughs> Who in civilian garb are on their way to see Jean. While Scott is driving, Storm's apologizing him for misunderstanding his previous reaction to Phoenix. Scott quickly tells her bygones, as none of them really had a clue as to who they were dealing with back then. They arrive at Jean's apartment, 
building, uh, Jean's apartment building, only to have Jean's sister Sarah tell them that Jean is not yet returned from visiting her parents. Sarah fixes them all coffee as they discuss the facts of Jean and how they responded to Phoenix. Next, we see Jean visiting her parents in White Plains, New York. They're all looking over the balcony to the street below when Jean notices a wild bear making its way through the parking lot while people run away from it. Using her telekinetic power, Jean lowers herself down to the street to investigate. She comes down close to the bear to see it is not ordinary. That is smoldering. She feels pressure in her head. At this point, the police officer that had been following the bear for 16 blocks shows up to handle the situation. As Jean tries to shield herself mentally from the bear, the police officer appears to be attacked just as he recognized that Jean was Phoenix. Back at the X-Men's lair, Kitty rushes to the demon that swallowed Logan. Phasing, she is able to reach in and pull the raging Wolverine from the belly of the creature. Wolverine then proceeds to eviscerate the demon apart with his claws. The rest of the X-Men and Alpha Flight group are holding the demons off, but finding they're not able to stop them as they seem to regenerate. Professor Xavier mentally guides Shaman to the side of the cairn so he can do with the Nigari once and for all. Michael T. Youngman arrives at the stone remains of the cairn and can feel the growing evil. Shaman goes deep into the bowels of the demon stronghold and is beset by many, many more demons. They swarm him. In a last-ditch effort, he throws out a staff that he pulled from his bag. Our attention is once again pulled away from the action, this time to the micro-kingdom of Latveria. Magneto wakes up in a lavish bedroom, wondering how he has not been torn apart by the frequency conflict between this universe and his own. As he puts on a robe, he is greeted by the monarch of Latveria, Dr. Doom and several Doombots. Doom introduces himself and tells Magneto that he is his prisoner. The end, for now. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I stumbled a lot. No, uh, this, is, this is sets up a ton of new stuff. Yep. Um, yep. Good do, artwork, do you too. Get the feeling that, yeah, do you get the feeling that Kitty didn't talk to the professor about this? That she just took Peter... Yeah, I, yeah, I kind of feel they just, I mean, I'm assuming the rest of the X-Men know about her encounter with the demon, but yeah, it sounds like they just went off on their own, and yep. she thinks, well, I've got, you know, I've got this tank with me, I've got Colossus, or so whatever, of course, it looks like, I guess they flew there, but they just shows them like they're, like the way they're walking, like they walked, <laughs> they walked up there. Um, yeah. But obviously, they took one of the sky vehicles because they come back in. <clears throat> obviously, yeah. And I did not re. You said you reread one forty three, uh, kind of. Yeah. Prepared for this, I didn't because we we kind of we've already covered it uh, on one of our Christmas shows, and I don't th- I didn't reread the previous one where uh, and I don't know what issue number that was I can't remember ninety six where the demon attacked them yeah yeah and I mean the Cyclops. In a fit of rage, blasts his sonic, his, his, like, excuse me, optic blast out, and he breaks the cairn. Uh, a, a um, it, basically a monolith hits out there, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what lets out the demons, including the the big one, Anorak or whatever it was called. Um, and it attacks the X Men, but you know Storm has to go to the cairn and seal it up, and that's what ultimately she she does. Yeah, um, and you get two versions of that, one by Cockerman, one by Byrne. Um, the, the interesting thing was, in, in all this, in rereading 143 this time, I came across something that I, I, 
I had to have seen before, but for whatever reason, it I slipped it, slipped it, it slipped by me. And that is on the letters page, an incredibly angry letter by Kurt Busiek. Really? Who basically says he will not ever buy the X-Men again after what they've done. He hates what they've done, you know, He's at 138 was his last issue. Let me, let me read this because it just really um, caught me by surprise. To the editor, I have a complete collection of X-Men. My first issue was 37. Since then, I've been an avid fan of the title uh, of the title book through the old and new teams. But 138 is my last issue. I quit. The change from old X-Men to the new X-Men was fairly simple to adjust to because the book is still excellently scripted and drawn. But the past two years, since issue 113, I've watched the book degenerate, watched the X-Men become a perversion of what they once were, watched you twist and mangle characters you virtually created. I first decided to stop buying during the Hellfire Club storyline, but held on for sentimental reasons and the vague hope that things would get better. During the Dark Phoenix story, I again decided to quit the book, but upon hearing the conclusion would be decided uh, what the conclusion would be, I decided to stick around till Cyclops left. And now I can no longer justify buying the X-Men, not even to keep my collection complete. Each issue hurts too much. I love the X-Men, and if you treated them as they deserve, I would still be a faithful supporter. But until matters change, you've lost yourself a reader. Kurt Busiek, Lexington, Massachusetts. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Strong letter. And Chris Claremont actually responded to it directly. I'm sorry you feel the way you do, Kurt. Unfortunately, one person's dark age is another person's is another's renaissance. What you saw as a perversion of the book and its characters, others saw as some of the finest issues of the series. We do our best to make our readers happy, a logical course of action concerning the way, uh, considering that if they become unhappy, they wouldn't read the book and it. And we wouldn't be here. But the way we do this is by trusting our own. I'm sorry, I'm having a very hard time reading this. Um, Ellie, trusting our own instincts and abilities. So long as who produces those books, all comics, not simply X-Men, are creative humans, not programmable robots. That's the way it had to be, for better or worse. Hopefully, for better, Chris. And just double-checking, because Luis Jones was the editor, Danny Fingeroth was the assistant editor, so yeah, it was Chris Claremont. Of course, this is the same issue where Chris Claremont wrote a nice big yellow box about John Byrne leading the book, that Dave Cockrum was coming back, that Brent Anderson was going to fill in one issue. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty harsh criticism from not just a, a, you know, a regular reader, a comic book historian and a great writer himself. Uh, that he'd become in later years, and the guy, based, you know, partially responsible for the uh, the method that Jean Grey actually was returned uh, to the fold. So uh, very interesting yeah, to, his, his to come across of, that. Uh, of fixing what he thought was wrong, but I mean, it's to to Claremont's point. You they you you can't make everybody happy. You have to do what you think is good storytelling and and you know i'm sure with with any writer as you create a character as they go along the create the right the characters are kind of take life themselves and will go places that you don't necessarily you're not 
because I've heard Stephen King say this, that you don't necessarily yeah. have control over what they do. They kind of have their own right. role. Right, but so. I, I think that, that Claremont's response does have a little smack of arrogance in it and touting it as some of the finest storytelling. I mean, if somebody else says that, that's great, but you as, as the writer yourself well, he's, I think shouldn't he's, he's, brag that. He's picking up on it. And it is, let's be fair, it is considered the the one of, if not the high high points of the, the single whole series. Quote, well, I mean, not just the series, but it, I mean, yeah, this is considered one of the single greatest book runs in in comic book history. Yeah, yeah. It, it, if you think uh, X Men, you think this run. Yep. Well, yep, I, I yep, think yep. it's nice that in, the, in this first splash page where we get the when and kind of talking when she's talking about how, um, you know, after she was attacked, she read the file. I guess, I guess all the X Men must must write up and counter reports or something, so that there's mm-hmm. it's like police files. She can go back and and reread what happened, and um, we get the two versions of which is you can see the two different designs because the one is Cockrum's design, which is the one with the mm-hmm. one eye. And that looks typical demon-like. And then the one below is from Kitty's story, which we pointed this out in our show, that it's very uh, alien-like. Alien-like. alien-like, yeah. That yeah. whole story is very alien-like. So that a- the creature itself is very alien-like. So that's two different. And then the design of the creatures when they come, when they attack the base, are completely different from these two. I mean, they're, yep. they're very burn-centric um, in their design. But... Burn organics, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, they're, they're like his typical aliens because he always really goes out there instead of just drawing like a human, now the, maybe. The first page actually was released months in advance of the issue. Uh, he gave out there as kind of a, an appeasement while there was a long break between uh, one, one, one book and the next. Of them in the I snow or the, that, that splash page? Yeah, them in the snow. Yeah. Just walk, yeah, the, them walking in the snow. Um and of course, you know, seeing that, you're wondering what the heck are they doing out there? Because there wasn't any lettering at the time. Yeah. Um, and so you just got that. And there's something that is in this issue that seems to be, is it me or is there just a little bit more detail in his work in this issue versus the previous one? It, it does. I don't know if it's just from, because the, like the, the, the demons are highly detailed. And then mm-hmm. when he's doing the stuff with, um, it does seem to be very dense. The one, and again, I don't know if it's the demons, but the fight yeah. scenes are in some of the stuff Shaman's doing. Uh, but I think that's it. There's a change in density between the imagery of this issue and the previous one. And yeah. so it makes this one look a little bit more detailed. And I'm wondering what you said, let me jump to this, um, or Kitty's... Uh, Kitty fight, you know, she peeks down the holes, sees something coming, and she jumps out scared, and then we cut to um, them working on the black the blackbird. Mm-hmm. When and then we cut back to the snow where um, and I'm getting I hate to say this, I'm getting a little tired of this 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 bipolar Wolverine where he's he's fine, but the latest little thing, the slightest little thing goes save off and he goes into a rage. Uh, when he is he's attacking Jop and he's kind of hoisted into the air. You said that was Pablo. I think that is Guardian using his powers because it seems to me. That's... Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, that 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 yeah, because of the glow around him. Yeah. I, yeah, 
you know, with Pablo being involved, I had assumed it was Pablo. Right, right. You think it and would so be Pablo? And so that's definitely a mistake on my part. Now, as far as you know, Wolverine's uh, responses and the Berserker rages. You know, as a younger person, I didn't think anything on that at all. As an older person now, I'm sitting there thinking about a lot of things that are happening. And, and I'll use it as, as an example, Ezra Miller. Now, Ezra Miller is a movie star. You know, he's in the, the current Fantastic Beast movie. He's a Flash. He was in Justice League as the Flash. Um, he was in Perks of a Wallflower. And he's been going through a bit of a change in his life. He is now non-binary. So he, Ezra is now referred to as they, them. And he's been, excuse me, they have been getting in trouble with the law uh, in different places. And it's been all over the news. Uh, someone that, that that is going through that kind of transition is probably uh, getting hormonal adjustment. You know, injections, uh, things like that. I know a few people that have that have gone through that, and they've had to do that. They've had to go, you know, get hormone replacement or or hormone adjustment. And the mood swings and the emotional changes are just—it's like being a teenager again, and everything is amplified a thousand times. And so your anger is amplified, your your rage and all that. And I sit there and I think about Wolverine and you've got someone whose body is constantly keeping him at the ultimate of his physical, you know, capability. So that means every hormonal change is just like you would get them as, you know, a teenager or someone in their, in their full prime, just magnified. And so his rages make so much more sense to me now than just, you know, someone that's in, you know, constant pain. Well, right. And I don't that know. makes sense? It, it does. And I don't know if, if... I went a long way on that one, but it, I think it, it helps explain a lot. Maybe may, may no, explain explains a lot more it. what's going on with it, Ezra Miller. It, it, it yeah, well, yeah, I don't... The, the less about Ezra Miller, the better. Um, the I know they're playing into that he's really building this this relationship with Pablo and he's kind of giving Pablo something to do because Pablo's been in this book for for so many issues with really nothing to do he's kind of got vague powers and uh he's he a human plot device yeah he hasn't found his place um in this book or this team and in, in this universe and the to to be fair Wolverine has you know to your point his his brain was was cooked and he's uh has a regained his memories and he's still kind of determining how to be human again. So they're kind of going back to that, the wild man Wolverine that we, that um, was found up in the, in the Canadians, the Canadian Rocky or the Canadian wilderness. But so I, I can do that, but I, I guess it's just the, the, maybe I'm wanting it to, to, Maybe I'm impatient and I want it to get resolved and I want Wolverine back instead of this kind of low, slow process of him yeah. finding his humanity again, which ties in exactly with uh, Guardian and uh, Heather coming in because they have a strong connection to Wolverine. He doesn't know who they are when we find out in this, you know, when we get introduced kind of the alpha flight. So, I, I ran into a question <laughs> here with Guardian, and that is, is he Guardian or is he Vindicator or is he... What Captain Canuck? Um, 
a major Maple Leaf. I, I, I don't know because I couldn't find any reference anywhere to them calling him by a superhero name in all this. And I, I don't know if, I mean, I don't think Byrne ever liked the name Vindicator. Um, that was her name when she took over. Was she Vindicator? No, he was Vindicator because was he, he in, because he injured Moira in his first real you know thing out there. He injured Moira McTaggart. And he had found that he had a need to vindicate himself as a hero, and I thought that was. I mean, that's just Claremont, you know, writing, 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 yeah, and using a word that he really likes, and so he did that. Burn was never a big fan of it, um, so you know he. Again, it's never stated specifically here who he is, other than James. You know. Yeah, um, I guess I just always thought as being as being guardian, but uh, I guess in this timeline, the Alpha Flight exists because they've already encountered the X Men from what one twenty one twenty one, which we right. covered. So I'm wondering if and if this continues in this timeline, is he not gonna is he gonna undo what he did in his own book of killing? Guardian. Spoilers for 40-year-old book. There's not a plan to sit there and go into that, as yeah. he said. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that he won't be inspired one day to sit there and do something. Yeah. I did have a question, though, because, you know, it's like as much as I read of, of that run on Alpha Flight, do you remember Guardian controlling everybody and taking everybody for a flight? Using no, just I don't, I don't think that was his... Yeah, I don't know if that was his power. I mean, he could fly because he could either manipulate or cancel gravitational forces or the electromagnetic or something. Yeah, yeah something like yeah. that. But I didn't know he had any way of creating some type of a force field or a something that he could pick everybody else up. It's like zero-point energy or something, yeah. <laughs> exactly. don't know what that, what that is, yeah. I mean, but I do just, like that in that image of them flying back to the hangar. yeah. Well, and they go, th- and it looks like they're, does it look like they, they almost disappear or go through? At that bottom page, it's a snap of crackle of energy. The five heroes flash across the hills of upset New York. It looks like they're hitting, going through like a hologram or something. Because it's well, like a flash. It looks like it's closed. But in, in the next page, it looks like something was open. But that's a smaller portal than the, the door for the outside. That's much wider. Yeah, you know? it's almost it's almost like they teleported through, which I don't. I know that's not his power, but uh, it sounds like the way they're traveling is the way he would just kind of travel by. He would want. And what's uh, that? What's that behind Heather? On the top panel, behind her legs. Um, snow. I don't know. It looks like a. a I guess that's supposed to be snow covered, like snow covered. So that's tree, what's maybe. outside. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, they're not. They're not. Uh, they're not. <clears throat> they're not wearing much in the way of clothing for it being. Um, really cold out there. Really cold. I mean, Joff obviously it's not affecting him. Right. But it's um, ten days before Christmas. Yeah. And I, I will say this: I guess Carla trusts Wolverine and Joff enough that they're just out letting them out play. Play in the snow without any, you know, adult supervision. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I like the introduction, reintroduction of Alpha Flight. I've always liked Alpha Flight, and always, you know, any t- any chance you, you get to draw more. What did you think of this memory archive that uh, Shaman? I thought that was that's pretty uh, 
intrusive. I mean, do the rest of them know that he's keeping backups of their memory? Whether I mean, do they not have a say in this? Does is it just something? Uh, you see Heather, little... Heather's response to it creeps me out to think about it. Yeah, but she's, you know? <laughs> obviously she's not objecting to it. I think that's a violation of personal privacy. I mean, it comes in handy here. but Well, it's not like he pulls it out with a box of donuts and reviews everybody. Well, you don't know what he does. Hey, look, Mac and <laughs> Heather's honeymoon. Hey. You don't know. You don't know. I mean, it, it, it seems from the dialogue that he's not – it just automatically does it. He's not – viewing it or looking at it it's just you know it's just it's like a your automatic backup on your computer it's doing it right. all the time um i think what's more concerning is that uh panel on the left where he's talking about it guardian looks like he has no nose that profile shot of him really how does he smell i don't <laughs> awful <laughs> and i know that's just his helmet but yeah the way Burns drawn it looks it's, like it's almost got like a RoboCop look to it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, but um, Barapa. okay. <laughs> you know, and uh, it looks like Professor's got a new high tech chair. Um, yep, pretty pretty cool. And then of course the sky car comes flying in with Kitty and Peter. Is it? Is I, Kitty driving? She's driving. She's driving. Yeah. She's thirteen, or well, maybe fourteen this point but well she's doing on. pretty good and, and i guess they're automatically i mean i guess the doors it looks like the way she's flying in that they've hit the Again, button the doors are opening and they're just coming in kind of sideways because they don't have time for the doors to open because these things are after them yeah but these aren't the same doors that that, that that they came in earlier because those are much wider and i don't know it, it, again you know the, the, those out there look like hangar doors I have to go back and look at that whole. And that looked uh, like that was a door that image. lifted up, like a garage door, yeah. one giant right. garage door. And this is obviously some type of a hangar door as it open left yeah. to right. So there's there's things. If you, if you look back up at the top image, I think that is a forced perspective of them being further away from the door, but they don't look Maybe. as tall still yeah. as the one that you see Kitty and Colossus coming through. It's like they're two separate doors all together but it's a great the, the next the next panel is a great word that they're zooming in and guardian's body looks a little distorted yeah it looks a little little odd yeah um yep, yep. but them rushing through and then it looks like shaman is creating a cloud of air to to cushion is that ash's heather. mom heather is that oh, heather i think that's heather heather yeah um, she got glasses on and then I guess the doors close pretty quick. And then, of course, these things just um, rip through. And it looked like something right out of a, uh, a Del Toro film. Um, yeah. I was thinking I was thinking along, along the same lines yeah. there, Del Toro. Guillermo. But the, yeah, and so they're all very, very different, though. There, there's one in there that looks similar to the demon-type stuff. Well, these two in the middle on the left side of that real big one um, remind me of the, of kind of some of the things that Cockrum drew at the end of the issue when storm was fighting him in 96 yeah. and burn also drew some of that as well. When he did the recap of it, um, they look a little bit like those guys. The other ones though, man, they're yeah, just all crazy nuts. Demons. One stuff. of them looks, it's, it's the same where the, the big guy is kind of ripping the doors apart. And mm -hmm. one that is kind of under his, <clears throat> 
right arm looks a little bit like a gremlin. He's got big ears. He's got a tail. Yep. But just the ears and the face look, remind, remind me of a gremlin. Yeah, both both those to, on the left side, the ones I was talking yeah. about that, that seemed to mimic uh, Cochrane stuff. Uh, both, yeah, they, they could uh, also be the mutated gremlins. Yeah. Somebody fed them after midnight. And of course, Michael thinks that, or Shaman thinks that they were all, they were extinct. And then you realize that these are like mutant offshoot. mutated offshoots or something. And, and um, I don't know, he's dissolving one of them. Um, yeah, now this whole sequence here, I was sitting there thinking about what happened with Kitty in the mansion in that one issue. And that one demon was so devastating and so powerful. And so that, that you know, it, and it was, it, it, I mean, it killed people in an instant. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, the first one we see coming down on anyone is the, the, a big one coming down on Carla and, and Pablo. And of course, Joff takes it down and then rips the head off. Yep. Which is what you want to see from Joff. <laughs> and then Wolverine, of course, you know, going after the, the big one and chopping off a few fingers. Um, it's, it's funny. Last night we sat down. Uh, Chris wanted to watch Jurassic World, so we watched that. And this makes me think of the, the Indominus Rex and the, the, the claws that it had on it. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it reminded me a little bit of I was rereading the um... – because we covered it, the Adams, the Neil Adams run, mm-hmm. and there's, I think, in when they go to the Savage Land, yeah, Wolverine gets swallowed, I think, by like a T Rex or something. So that was kind of a but Wolverine was not in a Neil Adams X Men. Okay, then who gets swallowed? Then what am I thinking? You're thinking of uh, John Byrne's early maybe Savage Land, it. yeah. Maybe but I don't remember him getting you... swallowed. Maybe. Maybe no, he did. Gave one indigestion, or yeah, I, I remember him cutting his way. I just that's that's yeah. a memory. So, um, gotta you, go back. When you Good cover time. these books like this, you just jump back and forth. It, it all becomes yeah. blurred. Yep, yep. But then he just shoves Wolverine down his gullet with his cut up hand. Yep. And then we go to Scott and Storm, and now she's talking about the lecture she gave him way back in that issue of X-Men in the Savage Land, isn't she? Because you remember Scott was, at that point was just numb. Is that and when they Storm, attacked? That, was that when, the, during the, when they were encountering Sauron? Yeah. Sauron. And, or how you pin up, yeah. Um, Sauron. Yeah. Uh, Sauron. And, and, yeah, but, but the, yeah, they, uh, he had thought that Gene and Hank were dead after the Battle of Magneto. Right, and he was just kind of numb, and Storm was just like, she gave him kind of a verbal smackdown, and this is after all this time, she's like, oh, I, I feel like owe you an apology, you know, because I was wrong. Obviously, you were right. Yeah, and he's just like bygone Storm, you know what happened? Then you know we all were just didn't know what was going on. So you saw it one way, I saw another, no biggie. And uh, they show up at uh, Jean's apartment, but Jean is not there. Sarah is though. And Sarah goes quickly to fixing everybody a nice warm beverage from the book of Sheldon. <laughs> and then we cut to um, Jean with her parents in White Plains. I don't know what's so special about White Plains. It's not New York. What? I said it's not New York. Oh, it's but not it Manhattan. Is New York. It's not Manhattan. It's not, not Manhattan. But yeah. they were from, what was the other... Uh, Subdivision, the, the the neighborhood that they were in, 
um, I can't remember. It had a very odd name. But, uh, yeah, so they're in this really nice, plush apartment, though. And Jean sees the bear, and she just goes right into it, goes down to it in her street clothes to take this thing on. Well, she's... And just... Yeah, and she doesn't at this point. I don't think she she thinks it's just a, a bear that is wandering into the city. She doesn't think yeah. there's anything wrong. But it's smoldering, and all of a sudden she feels like a, a, a mental attack of some type. And if you look at her her eyebrow, there's a little thing on her eyebrow eyebrow there that looks a lot like that other eye that I thought I saw in Magneto in the earlier panel. Yeah, I think that's just supposed to be her kind of furrowing her brow, but. Um, or, or it's it's more of a of a tele, telepathic kind maybe, of maybe maybe something. something something's odd here yeah yeah definitely. and a yeah. cop comes in he's like I've been chasing this thing for sixteen blocks and uh, he he recognizes her you're the one called Phoenix just as he gets accosted by whatever yeah he seems like uh, he seems to be taking mind. over right yeah um, let me cut back to the it's action a, it doesn't make sense to me that it would go for him instead of her but I guess. Her mental shields are strong enough she can hold it, it off. Yeah, I think it's trying to go for Jean, but she says, you know, it, it's it's pushing hard against so it can't, so it goes to the least resistance. It and goes it's to, burning through the bear so quickly yeah. that it needs another host. So it has to go to go to the, goes to the cop. Um, You're gonna be a light snack. <laughs> again, this is what seems more like because we, up at this point, you know, again, if we don't know this is Phoenix, we've only seen this Phoenix possess. Uh, Jean and it possessed um, Alandra. Alandra. That it didn't burn through their bodies, you know, because that's why this seems more proteus. It's exactly what he would do. He would possess somebody and he would just burn through it, and then you have to jump to another host. So, yeah. I think that's that's kind of a red. Maybe it's maybe a red herring for. Uh, and I can understand maybe the bear because it's a lower form. Maybe it can't deal with the bear and the fox and, and the fox. Yeah, yeah it can't yeah. hold that kind of energy, but. Uh, well, I mean, if it's mass-wise, I guess the bear would. Cause it's probably bigger than his cop, but maybe it has to do with uh, a higher degree of intelligence. But yeah, um, and then we cut uh, we cut back to the action, and and I just realized what this big one kind of looks like. It looks like the skull crawlers yep. from Kong Kong uh, Skull Kong, Island. Skull yeah. Island. Yeah, that's what's reminding me of. Okay, let's take a look at Kitty for a moment here. Now, just within the last year. Or a year year before, she had her incident with that demon in the mansion, and you saw in that that was a horror story. That was abject terror that she experienced. Anybody who goes through an incident like that is going to suffer some PTSD from that. You, you, there's there's no getting around that, you know. And here she is, and she is just so into the fray, you know. And she sees what happened to Logan, and she just phases right into it without a thought about what that thing could do to her, considering what the previous demon did with, to her, even while she was phasing, it hurt her. And yet well, that, she's able to... His, his uh, uh, Professor X's comment that your powers are, are you know, no defense against magic. But it doesn't right. seem like she has a problem phasing into it and pulling... I mean, I guess she had some. She knows where the stomach is, or and to pull yeah. uh, Logan out of it, and he's kind of partially digested. <laughs> he's red <laughs> yeah, hot and slimy, funny. as she says. Yeah. Um, you know, then then he gets this. I can understand his uh, 
his berserker rage coming out. Yeah. And to where he's just slashing it to pieces. But you, I, I agree. I think she would be a little more hesitant. And it, it, I don't think she had quite developed kind of the relationship with, with Logan yet that would later, um, they would later have because she hasn't been with the X-Men long enough. And that maybe explain why she's jumping in and trying to save Logan. Well, she's you know been with him a, a year here, and in this time, you know, he's gone from being that hard-edged man to this, you know, this guy who is, you know, like a kid. And so she she probably feels a certain way as a result of that. Yeah, yeah. There's that. Um, yeah. But of course, I, now the I agree. Page, I think that's a little yeah. that's a little out of character for her to. But who else? How is she going to get? Like that, how yeah. is she going to get Wolverine out of there? I mean, you have to have somebody. There's maybe oh, blast the thing. Oh, his way out. But then again, you know, if he'd done done that before, like you yeah. say in the Savage Land, that would be reusing something. You don't want to do that. You want to, you know, it, you know, you you don't do the same gag. You do the next gag and move on. That's true. So yeah, it makes sense. Um, the, the next the next page when Wolverine's kind of gutting. This God, that's an awesome one. image. And it, yeah, um, it says Kitty fights back, I guess, and she's looking to not be sick. But the panel below where, it, where Guardian is blasting yeah. one of them, below that it looks like Joff is pulling the guts out of another one. Yes, yeah. This page would be so hard for someone to ink. I, I, I mean, I just don't think anybody could ink the image of Wolverine under that demon and do justice to it. I'm going to have to look and see if anybody's done this one. Well, this is... is good. Good. Well, I'll say this is what you were talking about. You said they thought there was more detail. And this is a good example mm-hmm. of that because with the demon above where Wolverine's gutting it and then the, the page across, or the next page, where Xavier guides Shaman to um, the Kern. The Kern. Yeah. The Kern. Uh, Kern. And he not sees Karen, all, though not, everybody like to see Karen take a hit. Not Karen, no, not Karen. <laughs> the Karen. Uh, he sees all the, they look like either tablets or there's something that's got all these ruins or something all over them. And it's a lot of blacks and it's very dark. Um, and there's a lot of detail in that, especially when he goes below and you kind of see, it looks like a, this looks like kind of like a stone well or something that he's going down. And he finds all the rest of the demons, which is a nice silhouette where he's down there. Do you see the silhouettes of them? Um, they look yeah. like a, a, a they look like a bunch of characters from Monster Inc. down there at the bottom. Um, yeah. And then they they swarm him, and yeah, you see him pulling, they grab him, and he's pulling that that staff out of his. Uh, out of his uh, uh, pouch, and if you look, at, you see on the, the staff a number of faces. It, the, the first one almost looks like Gene Simmons, but they the rest of them remind me of those tiki things that he threw at the X Men in the one twenty one, one twenty two. Yeah, it looks almost like that, or a, or it looks almost like a totem pole. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that the top one that looks like Gene Simmons looks worried when it's when it's come. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he's kind of overwhelmed and he drops it and we don't, and of course we... But dropping it apparently was his last-ish effort. Yeah, he, yeah he's doing it to yeah. whatever he's he's doing because the, the last page is him kind of, just, he's dogpiled by a, a, just a swarm of these demon things and... Uh, and, and you know, one of them is going to come in and give him a wet willy on the ear. 
couldn't know. And we don't know what, uh, and that's, and I, I've read the issue after this and I can't remember what happened. Um, yeah. and then of course our little epilogue is, um, Magneto waking up, uh, in a very nice bedroom. And I don't know if it was ever been established before, maybe in Ohatmu, but it says that, that Latveria is only a few hundred acres. I didn't think it was that yeah. small. And it was a small country, but I'd never heard it referred to as a micro kingdom. But that's yeah. really, to me, uh, I, I, again, I'd never looked at other micro kingdoms before. And just recently, I got interested in some of them, checking out these these French um, uh, different spots in the South Pacific Ocean that are you know these massive islands that have roughly no population, and they're basically part of Antarctica. But uh, they're like micro kingdoms. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I just always thought, I mean, I always thought this was that, I don't know, it might be, yeah, it's a small, it's a small nation, but you know, maybe the size of Rhode Island or something, not, not just a few. I mean, there are, there are, you know, the King Ranch in Texas is bigger than Latveria. Um, I, I mean, you could sit there, basically take the Cowboys stadium and the parking lots, and that's pretty much Latveria. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's easier to control when it's uh, you want to get that small, you know, population, yeah. of a couple hundred maybe. But now, of course, you've got the the castle there, and uh, Magneto waking up in a uh, fairly lavish uh, bedroom, mm-hmm. and uh, realizing things are odd, and then Doom comes in. In a full page, beautiful shot of Doom sitting there with the Doom bots. Now, do the Doom bots just basically look like Sentinels with those top things on them? I don't know. They've what those always are. That, yeah, when, when Burma draws Doom bots, they look very similar. They just have the little yeah, very similar like that little whatever that is on top. Um, but the faces look very much the same. Their body types look the same. The kind of big boots and uh, and all yep. that. And um, but I always like the Doom bots. Doombots are cool, and same with the yeah. uh, and or or are these Doombots or are these or is a Doombot the mechanical one that looks like Doom? No, these are, these are these the are Doombots. Bots. I think of okay. Uh, I, I, well, yeah, again, you're that's a good good question. Are they actually Doombots? Are they are these called something else? Yeah, servant bots or something They're like his shock troops or whatever. Yeah. Whereas the other Doombots look like are duplicates of Doom. So, yeah. I. Uh, I do like how Magneto was like, well, you know, the frequency conflict between my body and this universe has been torn apart, but but that's impossible. Who could possibly have done that? And Doom just like, eh, that was easy. It's hardly worth even talking about it, you know. Just more of his his wonderful arrogance coming in to like, ah, that was that was child's play. I did that before breakfast. Let's talk about something else, yeah. you know. Um, Great way to end an issue. Yeah, yeah, because in the uh, well, it doesn't say in this one, but in the previous issue, when you, when he kind of sees who, you know, at that point we didn't quite know it was Doom. When Magneto sees him, goes, you know, basically it's like, how's this could be you, you know, how's this is like he, he assumed Doom was dead. So are we to assume in his mirror Earth where his X Men had taken over and killed the Avengers and everything else? And I don't know if we. If we, from reading those issues, I can't remember if he had established maybe he had killed all the villains too. So in that world, uh, Doom was he dead. Supreme. 
Yeah, you would have to assume that, yeah. Yeah, if they'd taken over. So that's why he was surprised. Of course, I don't know why, because he's on, he knows he's on a different Earth. Um, so that's a nice cliffhanger with Magneto basically being prisoner of Doc Doom. And the teaser for the next issue, though. Beginning, the life story of Wolverine, plus some demons. What price yesterday? <laughs> yeah, it does. We'll say that. We'll be covering those issues in later shows. But, yeah, he dives quick. He dives pretty deep into his version of Wolverine's origin. Which was a, a bit different than what I imagined. So, um, a surprise there. I don't know if it's something he's changed over the years or if this is what he's imagined all along. I know it's hard to say. But, uh, yeah, it's hard to say. You know, yeah. things can change over thirty years. So, um, but I don't. Overall, I mean, what do you think of these two issues? They uh, they do a lot of setup. Uh, some uh, backstory. I did. I did feel like I got I got juggled around a bit. Um, just as the storyline was getting interesting, he'd transition onto something else and. Uh, you know, like like others, to me, there's a little fatigue when it comes to Phoenix. Um, I think he's been going back to the well on that one a little too much. That being said, I understand the storyline pretty well, and it all makes sense. But this is what they planned with Gene was to make not Gene, but uh, Phoenix was to make Phoenix a recurring villain. And you know, how many villains do the X Men have to to deal with? Well. You know, we had Sebastian Shaw and the, the inner, you know, the Hellfire Club, the inner circle. Well, Shaw's dead. Oops. And you got Magneto. Well, that Magneto's dead. But you got this other one here who's older. And definitely. Yeah, and, uh, and probably more ruthless. And, and yeah, um, the, the, and I agree with you. I, I'm a little, I kind of thought the Phoenix thing could have been done and over with. And it didn't need to. I don't think it needed to come back as a recurring villain because uh, Phoenix is, a, we are dealing with like the Hellfire Club and Shaw. There was a lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff going on, some intrigue, some, you know, kind of that kind of, you know, secret shenanigans going on that made it more interesting. Phoenix is kind of a blunt instrument. It's like the, the Phoenix shows up. They're super powerful. They want to kill everything, and the next man have to fight them. Plus, Charlie X. Yeah, it's Charlie there's, X. There's not I a mean, lot of subtlety there. Too powerful, um, so that you know you're not talking about something that you can just take on with you know blunt force fight. You know, you can't just throw Colossus in there to to take her on and hope all works out fine. You know, it's always going to be you know some machination that's going to beat her. Or it now if so if, it, yeah right if they had treated Phoenix more like they do Galactus where Galactus works best when he's used sparingly and he would come in mm -hmm. occasionally and, and and I will give Burn this that you know he became he was kind of a one joke too that okay I'm gonna eat the Earth no I gotta find a way to stop me but then Burn would come in later came in later and would dealt with that a little more with kind of Developing Galactus more, coming up with reasons for him to not uh, consume the Earth and to go off. And, and and so if if you wanted to, I don't know. I just I just don't think going back to Phoenix this soon was an answer. 
Yeah, it, it is actually a, a plot line you could have stretched out even more had the sparklies do different things and, and move along to different creatures and such. Yeah. Um, it, it would have been interesting. You know, I mean, you could have touched on it every other issue and let it go for a while. But he, he's got an end game. And we're starting to see it in the, the latest, latest issues. Now, when he's going to come out with 32, it still could be some months from now. Um, I mean, he's probably already got that one finished up. He's probably a couple ahead. Yeah. But he, you know, he he wants to have that four issue cushion um, of a minimum, and you know, we'll see what happens with that. Hopefully, he'll get back in the mood and start doing something. Maybe, you know, a project will come to him that uh, will, you know, get his juices flowing again. You know, something from IDW. Uh, more Star Trek work, maybe he can. Oh yeah, I'd love to see him do some more Star Trek stuff, some more Fanetti yeah. books. Uh, I know that's not <clears throat> off the table completely, or you know, who who knows what will, you know, if he does come back to Marvel to do some kind of a, you know, let him do his vanity projects. You know, if they're not going to mm-hmm. do this, let him do something that, and they're not, they don't seem to be so. Slavishly devo- devoted to continuity anymore, that he, he could do something. Yeah, because I mean, it, what like like they did with Neil, they let Neil do what he wanted to do. Neil didn't follow any continuity or anything. He just went in and wrote Batman Odyssey and Reign of the Superman and everything else. You know, didn't matter. It was like it was in its own continuity. If if, if I'm remembering properly, yeah. Just I mean, just do. I mean, it's. Again, I don't think fans are are worried too much now. I mean, DC was doing that for a while. Where you could kind of do whatever kind of stories you wanted to. It didn't necessarily fit together. Marvel was a little more, um, yeah. Uh, but but DC is definitely, but that's gone too now. I think. Right, right. But DC has definitely burned more bridges with Burn than Marvel. I mean, he'll talk to Marvel, but with DC, yeah, I don't he's see not, him. Yeah. Um, and I think he had. It, 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 it's like anything. You have to get uh, a project that that sparks his interest. That he wants to come in and because right now he's doing this, but this is on all absolutely on all on his own terms. You know, if he he does it as much as he wants to, he writes what he wants. There's nobody overlooking it. Uh, mm-hmm. All the feedback is coming from fans. He doesn't have to worry about sales. So it's all at his pace. And then right. even, even if you do something for the for Marvel, it's going to be you're going to have, to have deadlines. You're going to have to deal with editors, and you have to deal with um, editors and chiefs, and you have to deal with the corporateness that comes with it. Of you know, when he was working for Marvel, they weren't owned by Disney, or was he? Yeah, he did. He did put out a, a something a couple of days ago that really kind of surprised me, though, and that was you know. Someone had said, you know, we've seen all this fan reaction. We've seen all this and everything. What have you been hearing from your, you know, professional uh, colleagues? What have they said? And he's like, not a word. Oh, about he hasn't heard anything. Marvel? No, no, about Elswin. Oh. No one has, like, really reached out to him. And I, I don't know that that's really correct because I know that there's been some conversation with Walt Simonson on it. It, it. He showed Walt some pages. So I don't know, you know, what, what he means in there. I guess what he's saying is that of, of, the, of his most recent work, 
that maybe he hasn't, you know, he hasn't had anybody sit there and like, like, you know, like Frank Miller or, or, you know, any of his other contemporaries that said, Hey, I've been looking, checking this out and I really like it. I like what you're doing. Well, I wonder how much communication there is in that anyway, if you're obviously, if you're working for a company and you're all kind of working, say you're all working for Marvel, there's going to be some talk back and forth about what project you're working on, but that's because you're working for a company. But do, I mean, does he look at, like, what well, you said, Simonson, does he look at what Simon, because Simonson will post, like, the sketches and things he does on mm-hmm. Facebook. Does he look at that? Is he looking at, uh, does he does he have any kind of relationship with these new artists that are coming out doing things? Does he say, hey, I, I mean, I'm assuming he's not reading anything current. He's not picking uh, up. I don't think he's reading anything current. Yeah. yeah. So is he, so he's not saying, hey. I looked at your take on something. I thought it was great. Um, or is he just doing his, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Um, I'd love to know what kind of community we, we kind of think that they are as kind of close knit group of artists, but unless they're working together on a project, maybe there's not a lot of communication going on. I, I don't think there really is. I, I think that it's, you know, if, if there is conversation, it is, you know, that there's email, and there's phone calls. I, I think that it's you know you know just old school kind of communication like that. No social media, at least where Burn is concerned, because he is very set in what he likes and doesn't like. I mean, you look at his website. His website is you know 20 years plus out of date, but he likes it because it provides. Uh, it, it doesn't provide the anonymity a lot of people want in social media. Yeah. So that they can come out and say whatever they want. And, you know, if you block them, it doesn't matter. They create a new profile. Boom, go on. On his website, you have to be able to prove that you are you, which is how you can are able to to post on his website. Yeah. You, you know, my uh, email address in there is a Brian Hughes email address, and they know that it's me. So, that you know, I don't have anonymity there. And so if I post on there, it says it's Brian Hughes posting. But mm-hmm. if someone comes in with an obvious alias, they get shut, you know, shut down, you know, just like that. Well, I'm sure he because, believes that if you're gonna if you're gonna offer up an opinion or comment on something, then stand behind it. Don't hide behind. Well, it's not just that. Let's say someone comes in there and says you're an a hole, you're this, you're that, you're all or whatever, and they get they get uh, just expletive filled rant. He's gonna block them. Yeah. But if if they don't have these kinds of checks and balances, they can just create a new profile, get back in there, and start you know just say do the same thing. Yeah. People do this in every other platform; they've been doing it for years, and this is his way of, of, of preventing that, yeah. shutting that down. Problem is, is that all the newer platforms for web pages don't allow this, like this does, and so it gives him the control that he wants to to prevent that. And so I can't begrudge him, you know, doing it that way. Um, so again, what, what it boils down to is that the avenues of communication that he has are based on whether he wants to talk to somebody or not. And he seems to be the kind of guy that kind of sits in his own lane unless somebody comes along his way. Yeah, if you read comments, so, he, he is, it's, yeah. it's mostly talk between fans. Occasionally he'll pop in and you know, comment on something if it strikes his interest, you know. Um, uh-huh. I'm, 
I'm really curious if, and I, I'm sure he's has seen this, uh, Claremont's reaction. I'd love to see how Claremont's reaction to this, because, you know, somebody has said, hey, you know, have you seen this thing John Byrne's doing? He's writing X-Men again. And he, I would think that unless he just, his ego won't allow it, I think he would read these to be curious. Okay, let's see what John's doing. You know, this is what, you know, he left the book and this is what I continue to, let's, let's curious is what he did. Or is it, I mean, do these guys, are their egos well, I mean, so big that they don't I don't, don't think Byrne ever read what, I don't think Byrne read what Claremont did after he left. After he left. And that may be it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, if, if you're, and it sounds terrible to think that their ego is, is, is such that you don't care about, I mean, do you care about just your work on the characters or do you care about the characters? Do you want to know what, or is it more, uh, I, I, I can't, I can't stand what you've done with the stuff I've worked on. So I'm, I'm going to ignore it and not, and I know it's that way with, uh, directors like uh, I think Zack Snyder said he's he has not watched the um, Justice League the 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 um, the version he didn't do the the Josh Whedon Josh Whedon I can't, yeah I couldn't think Josh Whedon's name he has not watched that and you know maybe you know I've I've uh, um, some people won't uh, I, I know Andy has said this about podcasts Andy Layla he said he does not listen to if he's on a podcast, he doesn't listen to it. He's like, well, I was there. I, I don't need to listen to it. Um, right. So, it, it, and maybe it's just a matter of there's a limited number of time or they're just interested in what they do. They're not interested. But I think as uh, any person who's creative, you have to kind of be aware of what other people are doing because that helps shape you and influence you and gives you an idea because, you know, you're like, oh, that's well, a cool I mean, idea. There, there is, there is, you know, some... It, in the moment, there is got there's got to be some look back. And that, you know, we'll, we'll use Doctor Doom as as a good example. When Byrne was working on Fantastic Four, Claremont used Doom in the X Men, and then Byrne went and made it so that it was a a Doombot, saying that basically Doctor Doom would never allow that type of uh, of activity by Arcade. Arcade, Arcade basically striking a match off of Doom's yeah. uh, robot or off of his body. And, um, you know, I mean, it's like Byrne had to have gone back and read that issue or at least seen that scene to sit there and decide, well, I got to do this. And, you know, well, I'm sure if, even if they don't, there somebody is telling them like, oh, hey, mm -hmm. did you see what Claremont did with, with Doom? And he'll go and look it up. And, um, and I don't know if 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 you work for Marvel, do you get previews of what, everything you're doing that you can kind of yeah. see or just I would just love to for someone to make a series um, there's a, a series right now on I think it's uh, golly I, I think it's on Amazon Prime it's called The Offer yeah, and it's about, it's about yeah. the making of The Godfather and it is a fantastic series just an amazing cast very very star laden heavy cast of people that are playing people that we kind of know um miles teller playing al ruddy and um matthew good playing uh, bob evans you know they're the main producers of the godfather and just they nailed I mean, the guy that plays marlon brando just nailed brando and the guy that played Al Pacino, you'd think it was young Al Pacino. I mean, just, you know, but, nailing these roles. But, you know, you're seeing all this behind the scenes 
machinations that went into getting the Godfather made. And I would really like to see something like this about okay. getting the Marvel Universe made. Well, I'm surprised they haven't because I've got the book. I don't think I've read it. It's the Untold Story of Marvel, and it's the beginning mm -hmm. of uh, I think it's called the Untold Story. I've got the book. I got it for Christmas. Just haven't read it yet. Well, that would be interesting if they did a little biopic of because you know they would have all that stuff with Kirby and um, yeah and and Lee, and they would. And I hate to say it, they would lean heavily on the the Lee bashing and how he didn't, you know, really have anything to do with this. And he was just a, um, the, the face man and he was just doing the promoting and he, and he didn't do any creative stuff, but, uh, or, you know, the, you know, you could do, and that would work. Cause those are, but those men are both deceased. But if you did like, mm -hmm. um, if you did one with, uh, like the making of, you know, the kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff on X-Men. So if you had somebody, but yeah. Claremont and Burn are still alive, one, they'd probably never allow it. Um, but on back to your Godfather, hasn't it kind of been come out that, that a lot of that's made up? They say it's very entertaining, but it's not necessarily true. I don't know what you think about it's, the it's, making it's, of it. It's funny because as I was watching it, you know, the all the mob stuff that was going on, made it sound like the mobsters really hated the idea of the, they hated the book and they hated the idea of the movie and Sinatra himself was very much against it because of the way he says it portrayed him, even though the character was called Johnny Fontaine. Um, I, I remember, and I, I've, I've read a lot of things and my brother's a real um, historian on this stuff. So he'd be better to ask about this, but uh, the, the mob guys loved it. Fact of the matter was, is that a lot of what the mob became in the 70s and 80s was because of what the Godfather had in it, the, 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 the structure of the way that it worked, uh, the calling the, 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 law, the leader of the thing the Don um, or the Godfather and having a conciliary and, and all that. That was stuff that they... They were like, wow, that's really cool. We need to do all that. We got we to get all these capos and everything, just like they got in the book, you know. Mm. They love the romanticism of it. And, you know, the, the series makes it look completely different and that, you know, the mob had such a strong hand in the movie. The one thing that they did accomplish was getting the word mafia excised from the script. And, you know, that, that's, that's pretty much it. I know that, that for a fact is one of those things that they, they asked and they did. So They don't call them the mafia? Never once in the, in the, in the movie did oh. they call them the mafia. There was going to be one scene where an FBI guy was going to make a comment about it and they took it out. But that was, that was like the, the one rule that the, the mob hit them with and said, this is, you know, you, you can't do this. And well, they say that they cut down to Johnny Fontaine stuff a whole lot so that you got to see very little of that. And so, therefore, Frank Sinatra was not made to look like a, a, a crybaby. Yeah. Even though I've seen he had it was a crybaby. And I've, I've, I've mentioned something on Facebook. I have never, uh, I've never seen The Godfather. I've never seen any of the films. I've seen clips and scenes mm -hmm. from the first two, but I've never sat down and watched uh, the films and by now you'd be Casablanca on it um, or Wolverine on it you know it's like I remember 
um, sitting down with some friends at, that had never seen Casablanca. And so we watched it. And this is, I don't know, 20 years ago. And I remember it's like, so it was over with. And so we turned to our friend Kelly. What do you think? She goes, it was just so full of cliches. And well, that's true. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's no, those are the origins but, of the cliches. This is where the cliche started from, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, it, it's, a, it's a film like Wizard of Oz or Star Wars or uh, anything. It, that, whether you've seen it or not, you know enough about it to understand the story and what's going on and all the memes and cliches. And It's like hearing someone quote a line from the movie and not realizing they're actually doing it. Like the, the one of the famous lines is, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah. And yes, it's never said in the movie. Oh, that is said in the movie. Oh. That's the thing, you know. Um, a couple, there's a couple times where it's actually used, but you know, the thing is, there are people today that use that line, not realizing that's where it came from, you know. Oh, right, 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 right. Or I thought it was more like to mention Casablanca that the play it against Sam is not. That's a misquote. That's not an actual. That's quote. a misquote. Yeah. yeah, you can play it for her. You can play it for me. Yeah, play it. Yeah. Well, if you've seen okay, the God, let me ask you this. <laughs> We're going way off topic here, but yeah. I've heard that if you're going to watch The Godfather, and I've heard generally that Godfather 3 is not very good, but if you're going to watch the first the first two, mm-hmm. some say watch the second one first, because that's a flashback film, right? Well, okay, that's there is a, a, thing, a, a version out there called The Godfather Saga that uh, TBS put together back in the day. And what they did was they put the storylines in chronological order now half of godfather 2 is the story of vito corleone when he was a young boy and that's robert growing de niro, up to right? be a man and robert de niro plays him as a young man okay but i mean that's that's half the movie but it's intercut with the later scenes of michael and his family uh in in nevada and the machinations going on with him you know, there and his brother and everything else. So, I mean, there, there's two stories going on at once. Hmm. And yeah, so it, it's, I, I still think it's best to watch, you know, I, I've gone back and forth because the first time that I sat down and watched all that stuff, I watched it in the Godfather saga and I saw it as a, a, a chronology. Yeah. And then later on, when I got the the Blu-rays or DVDs and watched them in order, I'm like, oh, wait, no, this is OK. So this is how it's supposed to start. And then I watched the movie that way. And I kept going back and forth that I'm trying to, you know, like show my son this stuff now. And I'm finding, no, no, I'd rather do it. Godfather, Godfather 2. Uh, and then there's a new cut of Godfather, Godfather, Godfather 3 called The Death of Michael Corleone. OK. And I, uh, I hear that that one's leaps and bounds above better. what was put out in the theater. I would like they to. Were, go ahead. I'd like to watch the way it was originally presented. I guess you know, first film, second film. Yeah. Um, has Paul covered this? We're way off topic now. Has Paul covered this on? Is it Jaws? Because I know that's one of his favorite I films. I don't think so. And I mean, I I would love to be in on that. Um, I, I would I would send him a bunch of oranges too. He would have uh, to, well, this is an invite to Paul. I, I don't think he yeah. listens to our show, but hey, he does. I've never, I've, never seen the, I've never seen the film, so invite me on your show to talk about a film I've never watched before. So, yeah, but that'd be great for you to watch it and to be yeah. to have that first time reaction, you know, from someone. Um, 
and you know to to get others that have seen it so many times they're just like oh you mean you don't understand the significance of this or this yeah you know it's yeah, yeah that'd be that'd be really interesting now i'm gonna change subjects on you though Star Trek Strange New World. Have you been watching that? I have been watching it. I haven't watched the latest one, which is like episode five, I think. I haven't seen... I've seen the first four. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, of all the modern Trek, my favorite series, um, hands down. Oh, um, it, it's, it's absolutely better than Picard and Discovery. Now, is it level with next gen or tos no gonna but, have to give it time to sit there and see what it does it, but it, it's it's going the right it's going in the right direction they're just yeah some, but you, you you know though that this series is is i mean next gen went seven seasons 150 plus episodes and as an episodic series you know it had its highs its lows and what and whatnot this right here is going to be limited you know we're going to get two three seasons out of it and then you know they're just gonna they're going to be done i mean it's it's expensive to produce expensive. it is yeah, right you know and and you know you've got a, a a cast of people that are if they're not a star now they're going to become a star as a result and you know anson out nathan peck um you know they're going to have a lot of work for them coming here in the future uh, well, Anson Mount is already—he'd already kind of been yeah. around. He's kind of a yeah. Uh, even though they, it's just funny, they play the same character. I'd see him as a young Bruce Greenwood, which they both played Pike, but he's yeah. kind of in that. He's cut for kind of from the same cloth. Um, right, right. I, I like I like Strange New Worlds. One, it, it's episodic. I like that. That's getting back to Star Trek. Uh, I don't like some of the cha- the canon changes they're making, and these are all kind of nitpicky. So I, I sound like a one of these toxic fans, you know, complaining about this stuff, but there's just small tweaks that they could do. Uh, I, I think they have somehow taken the, the, the character of Pike from Discovery, and in his own show, he seems weaker. He doesn't seem to be... Uh, they've, they've kind of amped up a little bit of his humor and kind of, you know, gush. Yeah, but they, they've, given but... Him, they've given him more time to sit there and contemplate what he saw what That's he knows true. is going to happen to him. That's and true. that right there definitely is a life-altering That's true, thing. but they but somebody's pointed out that now he knows his future. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I know I'm not going to die in this mission because I know how what's going to happen. So send me on every dangerous mission there is because I know uh, I know I'm going to come out ahead. Um, I, I think they've just... He seems to be not as decisive and commanding as he, he kind of was in discovery but he they seem to have taken it back did, did you kind see of memento mori did you see memento mori in the fourth episode i did and he's better in that one i really um, really enjoyed that's that's my favorite episode so far and i still haven't seen the the, the latest episode stock amok i haven't which, seen that uh, one i haven't seen that, that one's one. available and so I'm, I'm supposed to watch uh the Orville. Once I get out of here, yeah. The Orville is a. Uh, it's. I don't watch the Orville, but my wife does, and I know it's first or second episodes already come about. But the yeah. the the stuff with one, I don't. I mean, some of the some of the stuff they've done with. And I don't want to spoil things for people. For one, some of the stuff I've done with some of the characters or previous bad guys. 
and they've come about and they've made changes to that that to me don't make sense. Um, the lack of, and I see this as a, I see this more in Discovery and the show. The lack of professionalism on the bridge, I mean, or on the ship itself. That yeah. think of how people responded to Kirk, Picard, Riker. These, this is a quasi-military organization. It's very professional. It's, uh, you know, the, the captain tells you to do something. Your response is yes, sir. Not right. Oh wow, we're going to go into this dangerous thing. That's not a good idea, is it? I mean, no, you don't. I know they. I know why they're putting it in there. It's kind of modern, quippy dialogue, but it seems so out of place on uh, a starship. I mean, Kirk. If somebody said that Kirk, he would snap him back and straighten him out right away. Same with Picard. I mean, Picard was the most formal person in the world. Um, and this seems a little... So that's just me, real nitpicky stuff that kind of draws me out of it. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm enjoying it much more than I did. I thought Picard was... second season of Picard was awful. Um, yeah. And I've never liked any Discovery. But um, other than Doug Jones. I'm glad Doug Jones is getting solid work. Because uh, yep. he's a good actor. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't hate Discovery. I watch it, and then I forget it. You know, I mean, it's yeah, hates maybe it's entertaining. It's yeah, it's entertaining, but yeah, forgettable. Yeah, but Strange New Worlds is like it's Star Trek. It's a Star Trek that we're supposed to be seeing. You know, so I'm I'm really really enjoying that, and you know, we'll tell anybody you know that asks. Well, with that being said, uh, I think that we've gone on long enough. It's been a couple hours. Yeah, and yeah I think we lost good. Kirk already. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope you guys enjoyed our coverage of X Men House 1 25 and 26. Uh, we've got some fun things coming over the next couple weeks and months as we lead up to episode 100. So keep your eyes and ears open for us. Uh, and oh, yeah, we want you to, to write us, to let us know what you think about what we're doing, you know, tell us what we're doing, right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what you'd like us to do. And I'm taking a look to see if there's anything new. I don't think there was anything new in the email box. Nope. Um, but, uh, write us at gotta get burned at gmail.com or on our Facebook page. On Facebook, that's, getting, a, that's a good way to get, uh, to reach out to us. Let us and, and our offer still stands that if you give us a five-star review, we will do whatever book you pick, whether we've covered it or not. We're about to hit 500 members. Yeah. It is. Ridiculous. How many of those are real people? I have no idea. If it, it, it gets the show spread around and you know more people are <laughs> listening to it, you know it, that's. <clears throat> and I'm not. I don't really keep track of diet. You know, of downloads and because it's not like we're keeping score. We we do this because we love talking about it and we you know we like getting together with each other and and discussing it. So it's not like we're it getting is. a paycheck for this. It is painfully easy to see the downloads on an episode now. You can. I, just, you I, haven't, I haven't. Is it on the... When, when, when you go into the website and you look at the episodes that are there, in the top right corner of each episode listing is a number. That's like downloads. Right now, that's, that's downloads. Like uh, Back to the Bins has 1,664 downloads uh, for the episode that just popped out yesterday, their George Perez uh, tribute. And so you'll you'll see you, you can automatically see how everybody's been. now. If you know other podcasters on the network had not looked at that number before and didn't know about it, 
I'm sorry to tell you that if your show's not getting the numbers you want, because <laughs> it can be heartbreaking if uh, if you're not expecting that. Yeah. Well, I'm always kind of surprised at the amount of downloads we get. I always thought it's it's higher than because we're not necessarily we're not a talked about show. We're not you know we're not one of the stars on the Choo Choo Freaks. The, the thing you know. that that we do whenever we're pop whenever we're dropping a new episode is I am hitting every Facebook group that has something to do with the subject matter. If it, if we're doing a DC book, I make sure to go to those groups and provide them links. If it's a Marvel group, same thing. If it's one about else one, there are else one groups out there, so they get uh, a link. Yeah, and obviously any anything that's just a John Byrne group. So I'm I'm always you know broadening my horizons, trying to find different groups that would probably like this. And generally, you know, I get positive response from the groups that they like this. Is whenever I drop, whenever an episode drops, and I share it about. I get thousands of responses back, you know, that people like this, that people love this, that people, you know, I don't get any any negative response in that, except that from the occasional group that doesn't want us uh, sharing a post, they want us to create a brand new post. Oh. And so I get, you know, I get shut down when that happens and I'd have to create one rather than um, this uh, sharing, or sharing or, it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. But uh, yeah, there's so I mean it's it, some some episodes get higher downloads compared to others. I think when when you're dealing with Marvel, you get more downloads than if you do a DC book. Um, and when you know when we're doing uh, a cocktails and comics, you have to make sure that you're having subject matter based on something that that group is interested in. Like if we do a cocktails and comics episode, we may not talk about burn a whole lot, and a John Byrne Facebook group is not going to be happy to right. have a link yeah. for that in there. You know, if it, you know, so it's you know it's it's a crapshoot either way. But we we've been getting some some decent numbers, so I'm not unhappy about that. Um, it's something that I can't help but look at. You know, uh, you know, just uh, part of who I am. Anyway, uh, we'd like to hear from you all, so please you know, write us or go out to Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, and leave us a review. If you leave us a five-star review, it broadens the scope of anybody else looking for podcasts to listen to so they know that we're around, and maybe they'll pick us up and listen to us. We can always use another review on Apple Podcasts. I mean, just if you haven't done it, please go out there and do it. All right? Talking to you, Nigel. <laughs> oh, Nigel. You got anything else? No, that's it. I think we did a good job of covering it. I'm I'm glad we're continuing to I know some people don't necessarily want to read this uh and may not tune in for these shows because it's nothing they're they're one, it, it these aren't as readily available as you can't just go to the store and buy them or download them somewhere. You have to go to his site and or go to one of the, the, the Facebook sites and find them and download them as PDFs. But uh, I think it's important to cover, you know, this is the most current stuff of his that we're covering. And to what I said earlier, we're covering this linear, you know, as a linear, you know, we're covering every issue chronologically. This is so, almost like an index show for exactly. else one, when we exactly. cover it. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, 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 I we brought, talked about this off, off mic, but I think uh, with uh, the dropping of the She-Hulk, uh, uh, teaser trailer or trailer for the new f- show coming out. Uh, I had mentioned that we might, and it's not set in stone, but maybe as that show comes out, maybe we'll cover the episodes. 
we'll do like a you know like a little hour long 45 minute just after the episode airs we get on there and just talk about it because that's so connected to john byrne and i'm sure they'll hopefully be using um his work and influencing so yeah i can tell you that my wife and son both would want to participate in that that's fine whatever wants i mean i don't know if kirk and uh kirk doesn't have i don't know if kirk's got disney plus but um whoever wants yeah, he, to yeah kirk is working at at night uh if y'all don't know kirk is a weatherman um in, in his area and uh so he does weather reports every night and he also i think manages their their website Mm-hmm. So yeah, he he's you know, wears a lot of hats and he works pretty much six days a week. Uh, we were lucky to get him while we got him today, but uh, you know he's he's been a little busy to catch us on uh, the side shows like uh, co- cocktails and comics and such. Yeah. And so it looks like they're going to have nine episodes of She-Hulk. And that's the August, is that right? Uh, August seventeenth through October twelfth. Yeah. So, and maybe that's a, you know. Maybe that's a show we do not on, you know, the pull back the curtain. We record usually these shows on Sunday morning, but maybe that's something we do mm-hmm. like cocktails and comics. Maybe it's a Friday night or it's a Saturday night or something. You know, I don't know when they'll yeah. drop. They won't all drop at once. They'll drop whatever day, but we'll figure that out. But it's, I just wanted the, the, the if you've listened to this show, this, to this end that we may have some She-Hulk. I think we just should as a John Byrne podcast cover them. Whether yeah. the show is terrible well, or whether and, and you it love does it, we seem should cover it. It does seem like they're going to break the fourth wall some. Um, and so, you know, they're going to make great use of, of some of Burns' um, stuff. Yeah. And the 17th is a Wednesday. So if we did it on Fridays, that yeah, you'd be able to watch it and keep it fresh in your mind. Yeah, so, yeah, that, night, that, yeah. And it would be a short show. Yeah, sounds Like good. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that. Not a long, drawn-out show. But. Yep. Yep. And we cross-pollinate that to Christopher's channel, Crisis on Infinite Opinions. There you go. Which which we're going to start putting some kaiju uh, uh, commentaries up. So uh, keep your your eyes out for that. Yeah, that'll be on YouTube. All righty. Well, I don't have anything else to say. How about you? Nope. I think we've done it. I think we've given enough. We've probably droned down long enough that they're probably already hit stop by now. But if you haven't, Uh, I I want to thank you for listening this long. Uh, always thank you for downloading thank you for supporting the show uh, we do this because we'd love to do it uh, I want to thank my co-host Kirk who couldn't be with us I want to thank my my co-founder Brian who I couldn't do this without and for Third Degree Burn seven am, years yeah. seven years for Third this, Degree this Burn month. I am Tim Elliott and I'm Brian Hughes
You can send every mutant in Canada after me. I ain't coming back. Wolverine, no! Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com. That's G O T T A G E T B Y R N E D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.